0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S Y L V A N 29.com.
1: It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. It is Monday, October 22nd, 2018, and Caesar. Is home. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the MMA Hour right here on MMAFighting.com. We will give you the usual, as we always do, the weigh-in, a round of tweets, the Monday Morning Analyst, the sound off, and so much more, plus a trio of guests. At about 12.20, Sajori Eubanks will be here. She was going to headline UFC 230. Now she's not, but she's still on the card. We'll talk to her about what happened there. At 12.40, he is the natural, a two-weight Division or two, a world champion in the UFC at some point uh, is now working with the PFL, also with the Ali Act. We'll catch up with Randy Couture at about twelve forty, and then at about one fifteen or so, we'll check in with Kat Zingano. She is going to be taking on Megan Anderson in a featherweight bout uh, at the end of the year. So we'll talk to her about why she's doing that, what she anticipates, and a whole lot more. Then the sound off with you, donkeys, where you are my guest. As always, number to call 84-86-2468. eight six six two four six eight. We've also have been taking your questions, comments and other remarks using the hashtag, The uh, MMA Hour. Yes? Yes, in fact, we have. All right, not a moment to waste. appreciate you guys joining me. Let's check in with my man in the back. I believe he is ready. Uh, the arroz to my frijoles, the arequipe to my pan, Danny Segura. Hi, Danny, how are yep. you? How's it going? It goes well, my friend. You had a good weekend? I did. Very chill weekend, right? Not, not
2: too much going on in the world of MMA, but... No. I guess sometimes that's good, a little bit.
1: Uh, it's often very good, yeah. actually. It's not even rarely that's good. It's usually yeah. good. Yeah. Um. Could the, the tweets and the calls, give me a sense of things. They were very good. And for some reason, the
2: calls were very music-oriented. Uh, music-oriented. Yes, you'll find out. Is that because you
1: screened them in a way that makes them music-oriented?
2: No, I, I think that's just the type of calls that we got. People were either, you know, dropping in there. Some, uh, some people we had, some people freestyle on there. We
1: had really? some people play guitar. I mean, very musical. Interesting. All right. Yeah. We'll get to that. And towards the end of the show... We started a little late, so I don't want to mess with the show clock too much, so we'll check in with you a little bit later, my friend. Sounds good. All right, with that being said, let us get going. It is time now on the MMA Hour for the (laughs) weigh-in. So I don't know if you guys noticed this or not. There wasn't a whole lot of MMA over the weekend. There was PFL 10 in my hometown of Washington, D.C., uh, but there was not otherwise a great deal happening. But there was something kind of instructive that happened over the weekend. Namely, there was a brawl in the NBA. LeBron James, now a Los Angeles Laker. It was the opening night in the Staples Center against the Houston Rockets, another team out west that are very, very good. I know MMA fans are wondering, why are you talking about this? This is an MMA show because it's related, and I'm going to tie it all in. So give me just a moment if you can. But there was this brawl that happened. Uh, There's a lot of different factors at play. Brandon Ingram, a man who appears to be incapable of fighting his way out of a wet paper bag, is part of the problem. And then these two other gentlemen, Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo, got into it after Rondo allegedly spit in Chris Paul's face. You can see some of the highlights here. And then, of course, Chris Paul pushes him away. Rondo throws that punch. And a whole melee ensues. Brandon Ingram comes back in looking like an idiot, and he throws a punch. And so there you have it. Now, it got separated quickly. Uh, LeBron James, there you can see who was friends with Chris Paul in real life, separating them. All right. Now, you're asking, as you look at some of these highlights, what on earth does this have to do with anything? And I think the answer is it actually has a lot to do with UFC 229. Now, the events are not related in the sense that one caused the other. I don't mean that, but I mean the reaction more widely and how it was handled tells us a lot about MMA, the UFC, and then the fighters involved from 229. And everyone's had an opinion about the brawl, but we haven't seen any brawls subsequently in other sports until this time, although Jose Mourinho out in the English Premier League also getting up and losing his mind, which was hilarious to see. But let's talk about this for just a second. Why am I bringing this up? Well, a couple of things. Um, Look, all of the various players, quite literally, or some of the other stakeholders involved, in this brawl, they all came out and the coaches talking about how regrettable it was and how sad they were to see it and how unfortunate it was. And there's never a cause for it. All of them doing the common things that you're supposed to do to save face uh, in the public, right? And there aren't any real concerns that this is somehow indicative of how the NBA is. Some people were alarmed that this happened like on the opening night at the Staples Center, but you don't see the same kind of hand wringing. Conor McGregor gets in a brawl, with Zubaira Tugugov, and yes, this one over in the UFC was a little bit worse and a little bit more involved, and certainly a lot more heated. This was a little bit spur of the moment. The one at the UFC was a lot more involved and simmering and longstanding, but nevertheless, you don't see these cries and these clutching of pearls that the world is ending because a couple of grown men wanted to settle a dispute through violence. Grown men often want to do that. They're just not allowed to do that. So it was interesting to watch the media reaction. The media didn't really beat up on the NBA. They didn't really beat up too much on the players. No one really got hurt all that bad. So if you're wondering what the media reaction was, certainly the UFC got the, the worst end of it, but for maybe reasons you could understand. You could understand that a melee that was involved outside of the octagon and inside of the octagon would be frowned upon. You could understand that in a fist-fighting sport when the contest leads to real fistfights out beyond the confines of the sport itself that people get naturally alarmed. So that part to me, while unfortunate and maybe a bit of a double standard, kind of makes sense. But that's not actually why I brought it up. I brought it up for not those reasons. I brought it up because I wanted to talk about how the league handled it and what that means for the UFC. So did you guys see what happened? The league, within about, 24 hours, maybe a little bit longer than that, uh, weighed in, and they brought all of their hammers down. They gave Chris Paul two days. They gave I think Rajon Rondo three, and they gave Brandon Ingram four. In a public release, they explained why they took out each person's game check. So it looks like Chris Paul got fined half a million dollars, but it's just what he would get for two games. Same for Brandon Ingram. Same for Rajon Rondo. So they acted quickly. They explained their reasoning. And, you know, the coach of the Rockets came out and said, oh, this is too much. And Luke Walton of the Lakers was like, there's nothing wrong with our locker room. Everyone is going to say the things they need to say to support their players and save face. But I'm pointing here that the league acted quickly. The league acted with authority. The league acted, what I would say is, um, almost in a lenient way, but certainly authoritative enough to let it go. Now, the UFC doesn't have the same problems that the NBA does. The NBA is not regulated by the Athletic Commission. So the UFC is going to say, well, look, they're already going to get punished by these people. Do we really want to heap things on top of them? And I can understand that from a structural standpoint, you don't want to go to a space where you're just being super punitive. That's an advantage to a degree that the NBA has in situations like this. At the same time, however, they acted quickly. They came out and explained their reasoning. They came out with statements. They came out and acted like a professional organization that tries to shun these kinds of things, that tried to put the lid on top of the pot before it boiled over again and other questions remained, rather than just deferring to somebody else. They took control, is my point, of the situation. They have more control to take, but whatever leeway they had, they took. I didn't see the UFC do that. Not saying it's the end of the world that they didn't, but there's a difference there. But to me, it was the the real difference here is how the players were punished. Now, the NBA has a degree of latitude. They can not do whatever they want, but there are things written down and a degree of flexibility they have in awarding punishments. But a lot of that stems from the collective bargaining agreement. The players as a unit and a union, put down on paper with the league what they could be punished for, in what ways they could be punished, what the league can do, what the league can't do, what rights they have, and so forth. So for example, if they had wanted to, it's written in the CBA that before you get suspended, you have a right to meet with the NBA and have them look at the video and explain why no punishment should befall you or that it shouldn't be that bad. You have rights, you have abilities, you have things you can do to mitigate the worst of it, because they collectively bargained for it, they made it work in unison, and as a consequence, that probably saved them a little bit of the worst end of the punishment that they maybe could have gotten. Now, did they exercise all of their rights? I don't know. But here's my point about this. People keep blaming the UFC, and they could have acted with, I think, they could have taken more control of the situation at UFC 229 if they had wanted to. But the bigger point to me is really about the the, the fighters. Look, there's a lot of things that pass with the words MMA journalism on it that don't get, don't deserve to be called that. There's actually very little MMA journalism that ever exists anywhere. Um... Most of the time, it doesn't even really exist. There's very, very few guys actually practicing it at the high end and the low end. People often wonder why MMA media has a, there's a low opinion of them. It's because y'all won't ask the questions to the people in power that you need to, and you won't voice your opinion for fear of retribution, whether it's a fighter or somebody else. That's why the opinion is low. But if there is one issue where they have absolutely done their job, if there is one issue where they have hammered it home, it is with this one about the benefits of being employees, about the benefits of getting together, about having your own collective bargaining agreement and what that might mean. And would it solve all the problems? I don't know. Would it even have solved this problem? Hard to say. Here's what I do know. At least you'd have some kind of procedure. At least you'd have some kind of protocol to follow. At least you would know what kind of things would befall you. There'd be a degree of flexibility involved. The commission would still take their pound of flesh. But there would be some kind of understanding about these processes because you would have picked up on it. And the reason why people are upset about Connor not getting suspended and maybe nothing should happen to Habib is because no one wants to take ownership of this situation, not the UFC and not even the fighters. You can get mad at the media for a lot of things. This ain't one of them, folks. This ain't the hill to die on because you will lose that argument. The reality is we have shed in the media as much light as we possibly can about this. And the fighters have decided collectively to this point to do nothing about it. So I got to be honest, I'm a little bit tired of hearing arguments that things are unfair and that you weren't treated right this time and that things were unequal and it could have been better. If that's the way you feel, then do something about it. Get off your ass and sign a Project Spearhead card. Or don't, and then just keep living under the whim of people who have all the leverage over you. I can point to the things UFC did and the things UFC didn't. I can do that all day. But in the reality, they don't have as much leeway as, and, and leverage, frankly, uh, or excuse me, leeway as the NBA. They don't have as much freedom to act as, as they do. They're a little bit of an indifferent situation. You guys are not. You guys can do something about it, and you continually decide not to and then wonder why the stars get special treatment. You know why the stars get special treatment? Because you enable them to get special treatment. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the way in. All right, with that out of the way, it is time, and I believe we have new graphics, ladies and gentlemen, for a round of tweets. what's that that. Amazing. All right. Clock starts when the first tweet goes up. Let's do it. Let's do it. Here we go. All right. Uh, Habib versus Tony over under 600,000 pay-per-view buys. Ooh, that's a good one. I will say, man, I'll say under, but just barely. I will say under. I'll say 500,000, but that's a great question. That's an interesting thing to ponder. Next. Is Conor versus Anderson actually a possibility? Well, anything's a possibility, right? Me versus Conor is a possibility. I think what you're meaning is, is there a degree of probability to it? And to that, I would say almost assuredly no. However, we live in a world where Conor fought Floyd Mayweather. So what do I know? Next. Um, if McGregor fights Silva at a catch weight of, let's say, 180 pounds, as rumored, or even 179, I heard, what should I do first? Do shots of bleach <laughs> or rewatch the Kimbo Slice Dada 5000 fight? Well, don't do shots of bleach because there's no reason for you to suffer any more than you already have to. But certainly rewatching Kimbo Slice Dada 5000, a fight I was there live for, is always for, uh, for a time to lighten the mood. Yes, got rest in peace, Kimbo Slice. All right, next. Uh, how come chili and mashed potatoes don't go together, but they go with everything else? On what planet do mashed potatoes go with everything else? Like, how does that make, oh, yeah, here's my uh, mashed potato and uh, flan or cheesecake souffle. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Or how about, here's my chili. Uh, let me just dump this on top of my paella. I mean, if your paella is at all worth a damn, you just ruined it with some chili. So. The question's nonsensical from the outset. Next. Uh, If DC happens to lose at UFC 230, does he still get stripped of the light heavyweight title for the Jones versus Gustafson fight? Now, he is saying this week that that there's a chance he wouldn't be. um, Because they don't bargain for anything and because they're all at the whim of the UFC, the answer is no one can possibly know. So, congrats, fighters. Next. Uh, your prediction for El Clasico. <laughs> well, you know, at the start of the season when everyone was healthy, Ed Lopetegui had his, uh, you know, had his mojo. I would have said good things, but they are looking like Basura, my my poor Real Madrid team. But you know what? They've won three of those Champions Leagues in a row, for the last five. It's time for a smaller club like Barcelona to enjoy a little success. So um, I'm always going to cheer for Real Madrid, but it's a bit of a down year. So there you go. Not much of a prediction. Uh, Will Kane fight again? If so, when and who? I'd like to see a Verdum rematch. Well, Verdum's on ice for two years, so that ain't going to happen anytime soon. Will Kane fight again? My guess is yes, but honestly, who the hell knows when, man? I would have sworn he would have been back by now, and we actually had Chael Sonnen discussing Fedor's legacy on the show, was it last week, I believe? And in that space, he was discussing how the debate has kind of changed because of Kane's absence. I, I don't know how much the win adds to Fedor's legacy. I don't know how much the win adds to his legacy, but here's what I do know. The absence is adding to Kane's resume and not necessarily in the best way. It's not the same as having a loss, obviously, but you have to do more work, and there's just not enough done to have a high grade. What we saw was incredible, but what's left, I don't know. So in 2019, I would say 50-50 shot. Next. Do some divisions in the UFC have too many fighters? They can make more divisions, but some, I think, are too overloaded. Uh, Yes. Uh, You need, I was told you need about 25 fighters. You can do it with 20, but you need about 25 fighters to make a division. And so that's the bare minimum you would need to get it off the ground. Now, some of those divisions barely scrape by on that, and you've got others like the sweet spot of lightweight and welterweight that are super overloaded with it. Um, yes, they can make some in-between there, I would say. a sort of 165 next. Uh, what fighters would you like to see participate with each other in a specialty martial arts match? Example, Ortega versus Habib in a grappling match or Adesanya versus Till in kickboxing? Well, we know Adesanya can do kickboxing because that's where he comes from. The Habib grappling one, to me, is more interesting. I don't know how good his grappling is just for MMA or how good it is in overall grappling. Obviously, he comes from combat samba, but the strikes in that one as well. But in a scenario where he has no strikes, how good is it? That's one I would love, love, love to see. So I would say the Ortega-Habib one would be more interesting. By the way, shouts to Gilbert Burns, who competed over the weekend and looked pretty good at CBD. All right, next. Uh, Thoughts on the upcoming fight with uh, with Anthony Smith and then Volkan Uzdemir? Seems like it could be a good one. Here's my thought. Uzdemir had an amazing run and then, of course, lost against Daniel Cormier. Um, I think he's looking to reassert himself in that division. And Anthony Smith beating not one but two legends of the game uh, and, as a consequence, is needing to uh, prove that he didn't just beat some over-the-hill fighters, that he's that guy. And so, as a consequence, this is a big one for him. Can you beat a ranked contender who's still kind of young, right? That's the issue here. That's uh, uh, somebody this high level at that age he hasn't crossed yet. All right, what's the situation with Miss Eubanks? All right, we're getting on the line. Now, I believe we're going to speak to Miss Sajara here. I'm looking forward to it. She comes from my neck of the woods uh, and is now over with, I believe, Mark Henry's guys Uh, and Mark Henry himself. And, of course, she'll be taking on Roxanne Motiferi at UFC uh, 230. Uh, That'll be, I think, on the, I want to say the prelim portion, but not the fight pass portion. Of the prelim card, but remember, she was going to fight Valentina Shevchenko. Was going to be in the main event, and then that all changed. All right, it was a whole thing. So let's see if we can get the the, the facts, um, you know, straight from the source here. Joining us now on the hotline is the top ranked women's flyweight contender and jujitsu black belt, and the whole everything in between. Sajara Eubanks joins the show. Sajara, how are you? I'm
3: fantastic, man. How you doing?
1: I'm doing quite well. Are you still mad at me, Sajara?
3: Man, I don't know. So, listen, we're going to be okay, because one of your guys called me Sriracha on your after show, and then you corrected him. So, for that, I'm going to let you off the hook. It's Sriracha. Okay. Thanks to everybody out there been messing it up. So, how, no, we're how, good. We're okay.
1: Okay, I appreciate that. How often do people mispronounce your name, by the way?
3: All the time, since I was a kid.
1: <laughs> uh, I can imagine. You, got, you, you have the one Sriracha. of those names... Go ahead.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's one of those names. It's one of those names. Once you once you say it, once you get it, it's it's not that bad. But if you just look at it on paper without like without hearing it, it yeah, it throws people off. But you know, you know how it is. I, I've been correcting people my whole life. It's okay. All
1: right, uh, there's so much to get to here. So let's jump right into it. You're taking on Roxanne Modafferi. It'll be UFC 230. So that's the end of the conversation. Let's start at where it began. Tell me from your perspective how the fight offer against Valentina Shevchenko came your way.
3: Uh, it came out the blue. Ali called me up. <laughs> said, how much do you weigh? I said, man, my weight's good. And um, he was like, you're fighting for the title on November 3rd. And I was, I was ecstatic. I was through the roof. Um, I had a feeling when Nico got stripped that Valentina was gonna wanna turn around and fight soon. Um, and so after Nico got stripped I kinda had it in the back of my head, like, you know what? I, I, I think I think something's gonna happen. And and I was like, let me just let me just stay in shape. Let me just train. Let me just and I and I had a fight signed already so it was pretty easy for me to stay motivated. And um, then they had signed Valentina and, and Joanna and I still kinda was like, I don't know, something something isn't quite settled here. And, and, and I'm going to just stay positive. And, and Ali called me out the blue one weekend and was like, five weeks, you're, you're fighting for the title of Madison Square Garden. And I was jumping around. I was super excited. Biggest moment of my life. And, and I was pumped. Honestly, I didn't even ask if it was Valentina. I just was like, let's do it. And then it was like two days later, I was like, this is Valentina, right? <laughs> He's like, yeah. I was like, all right, cool.
1: Did you sign a bout agreement?
3: Yes, I did. I signed a bout agreement.
1: Wow. Okay. Now, um, you signed it the day you got called or the forty eight hours afterwards? like how, how how fast did this all happen?
3: It, it happened pretty quickly. Um, so I first got the call and I signed the bout agreement within two days, so so not quite two days later, but I believe it was it was within like twenty four ish hours of when I got the call.:
1: Okay, so then you're thinking, all right, five rounds, main event. I'm wondering your reaction to the reaction out there. Uh, you know, In fact, uh, Joe Rogan saying he didn't even know who you were and there were some other people. Looking back on it, what did you make of the response once that fight was announced?
3: I, I didn't care. I knew people were going to like it. MMA fans are spoiled. Uh, and, and we're in kind of a day and age the... Uh, the we're kind of in a day and age of MMA where the the super fights are are what sells and and not so much like people working through the ladder and, and and proving their thing. So I mean I knew people weren't gonna like it, but why not? I went out there and antagonized people a little bit. It was the biggest opportunity of my career at that point offered to me. How do you how do you say no? And then when people kind of gave me a negative backlash, like to me it just to me it was just setting up what what I had planned to be the most perfect Rocky moment. But, like, the underdog gets signed for this huge bout against this super-supposed dominant champion. Like, no one's counting. No, no one thinks she's going to win. Everyone thinks she's going to get smashed. Everyone hates it. And I think the biggest backlash is just the fact that we were the main event. I don't think it was so much that I got the title fight. We were just mad that we were the main event. And and I didn't care. I went on Twitter. I, I poked out a bunch of people. I talked a bunch of shit. Because at the end of the day, it, it it really doesn't matter what anybody thinks. You know? It's just... <laughs> I'm, I'm here to do. I'm here to, to accomplish my goals and achieve my dreams. So it is what it is.
1: Did you ever, by the way, get a chance to reach out to Joe? Usually, he's pretty friendly about stuff like that. If someone um, reaches out,
3: I tweeted him. He tweeted me back. But Joe's gonna know. Joe Joe knows who I am. He knows who I am before I said it. He didn't have to say that on his blog. I thought it was disrespectful. Me and Joe still, so I, I'm not happy with Joe Rogan. And, and, and he can't avoid interviewing me one day. one day he's going to find himself in a case with me in a mic. And I'm going to let him know exactly how I feel.
1: All right. Well, that should be an interesting day. All right. So, how many days, I can't even remember the timeline now. How many days passed before <laughs> that announcement was made? So, you versus Valentina at MSG, before everything came. Well, okay, you got the Motiferri fight, but in terms of the main event, before everything collapsed, how how long were you expect? How long did that take place?
3: Um, about seven or eight days. I don't know exactly, honestly, but I remember I, it had to have been about eight days. I remember I signed the on a Monday when we had just under five weeks left, and then I found out on a Tuesday because I was teaching my cardio kickboxing class, and I remember my cousin, my cousin's flying up from Florida to. He comes to all my fights, and he's like. Bro, your fight's canceled and I'm like, nah, no way I would know if my own fucking fight was canceled Like, you're bugging He's like, nah, I think your fucking fight's canceled And I go on Twitter My fucking fight is canceled So uh, I remember that being a Tuesday night So we're gonna say eight days So eight days I, I, I was preparing a fight For uh UFC flyweight title
1: Okay So once you found out it was canceled Did, did you call anyone from the UFC? Did they, did they eventually make contact with you? Maybe your manager did Like, what's the process there?
3: I hit up Ali, and, and Ali didn't answer at first, and my heart dropped. I was like, oh, man, because I, I figured he Ali kind of found out the same way I did. And so when he didn't pick up, I knew it was bad news. I was like, oh, man. And then I just started blowing him up He picked up, and he's like, man, I'm sorry. And I, I was like, listen, I, I, let me speak to Dana White. I, I want to speak to Dana. And he's like, you know, I was like, Ali, but Dana White on the phone. So I ended up speaking to Dana I end up more like yelling at Dana. <laughs> I, I have a pattern of yelling at Dana, I guess, in any of our interactions. Um, I just scream at Dana, and I let him know, man. Like, like not only you're taking this away from me, but you're taking it away from me in a fucked up kind of way. And I told him, I'm gonna tell. I'm, I told Dana, and I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell everybody. Y'all, y'all fucked up because y'all passed up on what was gonna be the biggest upset in probably women's MMA history. I, I was gonna put Valentina on her ass. I was gonna show up and show out at Madison Square Garden. I was gonna get my fucking belt and I was gonna shut everybody the fuck up and I was gonna have a blast. It was gonna be fucking amazing. I was like, y'all passed up on something fucking major. You just you just dropped the fucking ball, major. And, and that's y'all fucking fault. And, and you gotta fix it, you gotta fix this. And I went back and forth with Dana. I went back and forth with Mick. I think they liked, they liked what I said. Uh, we went back and forth with Ali, and we kind of just we we kind of tossed the ideas around and and made phone calls and 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 made a lot of hoo ha for the next couple of hours before we settled on on Roxanne. So okay, it, so when
1: when you were when I, you, I you were uh we quietly, yeah, it uh, doesn't sound like it, nor would I expect that from you. But when you were saying those things, what was he? What was he? Was he, was he firing back? What was he saying?
3: He was kind of laughing. He thought it was great. <laughs> I was like, "The fuck, man!" I I, I was at I was teaching I, I trained down here at Nick Catones and I was at the gym. I had a I was in the parking lot pacing and screaming, and veins going out of my forehead. And honestly, at the end of it, he tried to he tried to say a few things. I just kept barking. And at the end of it, he laughed and he was like, "I love I love it and I love you and we let, let me let me see what I can do, <laughs> Let me see what I can do." But um, from the little bit that me and Dave have interacted, and from what I know about them. I, I knew he liked what I said. I knew he was happy with the way I reacted. I think if I'd have just rolled over and taken it, I'd have got I'd have got fucked over pretty bad. And I just let him know I'm not, I'm not that type, yo. Uh, I'm 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 not gonna take it like that. Not only did you did you not and, and not only that, not only did you ten point like, like to, not I I've always wanted to be a UFC world champion, but to be able to fight as an underdog at Madison Square Garden as a headliner, like come on, man, like that that was like world perfect dream scenario and, and not only that but you know i'm about to get ripped and ragged on twitter for that shit I these, these fools on twitter are about to rag me man so i think he i think he liked what i said honestly and okay. um he he did right by me as best he could after that
1: yeah so to your point so then the the she goes back valentina does to 231 she finds you wanting a jay check Uh, and then of course it's announced eventually that you're going to be fighting Roxanne on a ferry what was the reaction when that fight the one between Valentina and JJ got rebooked did people blow you up then too
3: no I mean people blow me up on Twitter all the time they still are so whatever um yeah I mean it's whatever like I saw I think Valentina and and Joanna got rebooked before I signed with Roxanne
1: I think that's right yeah
3: people you know I think I mean people I, I see what people say like, oh, oh, that's the real fight to make. That's the one. Finally this is the right thing. I think it's the dumbest option ever. I think it's stupid and I think the fight's gonna be boring. But it is what it is, it's happening and and you know, that's how that's how life goes sometimes.
1: Let's let's follow up on that actually for a minute here because uh I'll be honest, I did not think that your fight with Valentina if it was going to take place. Was the appropriate choice as a headliner, but I didn't think it was a bad fight to make for that division. And I actually think I'm with you. I don't, I, I, look, I don't know what's going to happen in Valentina versus JJ, but I don't, I look at it a bit like Musashi versus McDonald. Why is it that you think that's a dumb fight to make?
3: Um, I, think, I think, one, Joanna's not a flyweight. So, you know, we're trying to build a division. I get that we're in the super fight era, but it's a brand new division. And like a lot of the guys, We'll have big super fights for title belts. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're in a scenario where if Joanna wins, is she going to stay? Is she going to stay at flyweight and is she going to defend the belt? Or is she going to say, oh, hey, this is cute. Let me go back to strawweight. I don't think she is. I think she wants to handle her business with Rose. And I think she wants to go back to 115. So if Joanna wins, we're right back where we started, where the whole division is held up now. Brand new division is held up and this girl is the champ, and she don't even want to defend it. Now, Valentina wins, okay, Valentina's the champ. Everybody wanted that, whoop, whoop, and hopefully she'll she'll fight soon. She seems to be a pretty active fighter, so best case scenario, Valentina wins, but you're rushing her into a belt. Valentina doesn't have any more fights at flyweight than any of the rest of us. We're all sitting at two or three fights at flyweight because it's a brand-new division. So you're rushing her to the belt, and I, I just think... I, I, I just think a super fight in a brand-new division is silly. And on top of that, they're both Muay Thai fighters, and a lot of times when you have the same styles match up, the, the fight can be boring. I think they're going to dance around for 25 minutes and jab at each other and paw at each other and see what happens. Neither one of them has really been known for their finishing power of prowess or aggressiveness, per se. So I think just stylistically, it's not the most exciting fight to me either. Like, unless they're going to do true Muay Thai, like, like Thai, and stand in front of each other and fucking bang. And and I don't I don't really see that happening. If they do, I'll shut up. I'll be wrong and I'll be happy. But I don't think they are. I think they're gonna dance around and pitter pat and you know teeth kick their way to so whoever <laughs> wins this thing.
1: All right. So that brings us back to you. Now you have this fight with Roxanne Motiferi. Um You took the fight. Is that the? Can we infer from that that you like this fight?
3: Yeah, I like it. I like this fight. Why not? I fought Roxanne before. Um, she's still top ranked. She's still you know top ranked in the division. Um, it's 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 short notice. I like this fight. I like it. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. When it was first offered to me, I was so fired up about being stripped from the title fight that I, I was just like whatever but you know i had to really quickly change my mind on it and focus because at the end of the day it's a fight and and you want to go into each and every fight at your very best and mentally at your best physically at your best technically technically at your best so um i like it it was offered to me i looked at the numbers i i i I talked to my coaches and my team likes it so i like it and i'm ready to go
1: Now, does that mean? Do you believe that if you beat Roxanne, let's say, let's say uh, very quickly, like uh, super authoritatively, the whole nine? Let's say if that happens, do you believe you should get the winner of Valentina versus JJ?
3: Absolutely, I think I should have got the winner of all these title shots. Based on strategically how this division was built, it was through the Ultimate Fighter. I ripped through the division. All right, I was supposed to fight Nico. I fucked up the weight cut. I felt like Nico asked me to be her first title It Didn't happen. They gave it to Valentino. Nico got stripped. I beat Lauren in the meantime to prove that my weight is good. And I I feel like based on how this division is coming along, I should have been next in line anyway. So if I beat um, when I beat Roxanne, then why not? Like I don't, I don't see like what what more case do you have not to give me not to give me a title shot now? Like what else you gonna tell me? What? I've made the way twice. I beat, I, I beat Lauren who was top, who was a top ranked fighter in tough. She was a top ranked fighter at of tough. Um, I, I, I ran through the rest of the division. Now, now I beat, I beat Roxanne in the tough tournament. She was number one at the time. She's still top 10. I beat her again. Like, come on. Like, who, like what else do I want me to do?
1: Where, where do you think Nico is now in the division?
3: Um, I think based on her performance in the house, she's gotta be, I mean, she's gotta be up there. Um, and she's in a kind of similar situation where I was, where she's proven that she can beat some good girls. Now she got to prove that this is the proper weight class for her. Um, but I, 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 would, I would put her top of division. I think her first fight back should be someone uh, to keep her in the heat of things.
1: Now, are there any weight cut concerns heading into 230, especially given the relatively short notice?
3: No, I'm in good shape. I, I've worked very closely with UFC, PI, Clint, and ball and all the good guys at the PI. Um so, nah, we're good to go. I did exactly, ever since what happened last year at the tough finale, I've worked directly with the USC in regards to my nutrition, my conditioning, and things of that nature, and I'm right where everybody wants me to be. I'm actually a little bit ahead of schedule. My like two pounds ahead of schedule. So, you know, we're good to go. All
1: right. I always like hearing that. I like hearing fired-up fighters. We're a little bit short on time, but this is a question that's been lingering in my mind. Um, you know, you and I are from the same neck of the woods, right? We're pretty close. Uh, you were from uh, Maryland. You were training with Team Lord Irvin, and you ended up in uh, New Jersey with Frankie and, of course, I call them the East Coast Super Friends, Ricardo Almeida, all those guys, and Mark Henry. Okay. How, did end, how did you end up there? I don't even know the story about that.
3: Okay, quick quick history. I'm actually born and raised in Springfield, Massachusetts. Always got to give a shout-out to my true hometown, Springfield, Massachusetts. I ended up in Maryland doing jiu-jitsu for 10 years under Team Lord Irvin, like you said. I ended up leaving um, Team Loderven not, um, not too much right after my Aspen Ladd fight in, in January. And shortly after that, they announced the Ultimate Fighter. I went into the Ultimate Fighter kind of like a Ronin, kind of like lone, lone Star Fighter, let's figure things out. And, and I kind of prayed and, and put it out into the universe that whatever happens at the Ultimate Fighter, I'll find my next team. I, I want to find a team that's close-knit, that's loyal, that's hardworking. And I'm going to just pray that I find that when I go out to Ultimate Fighter. So um, I saw Justin Gaethje. I know he works with Trevor Whitman. I saw Eddie Alvarez, and he's a Mark Henry Ricardo Almeida guy. So I was like, man, both those squads are good, so we'll just leave it up to the fight gods, whoever picks me and Eddie picked me, and within, like, the first 24 hours of working with Coach Mark, I knew that was my guy. I don't know if Mark knew I was his girl, but I was like, this is my guy. I, <laughs> I love Mark. I love Mark Henry, and we clicked We clicked right away. Um, I met Jamal, uh, Jamal Patterson, uh, Ricardo Almeida, and so as soon as the show wrapped up, at, really after I met them, like, early on into the show, but I didn't want to stay in front of the cameras and, like, make it a thing, we kind of, you know, spoke off to the side and was like, you know, I'm I'm, you know, I'm following you guys back to Jersey when this thing is over. And they were like, yeah, we'd love to have you. I met Martha Marias, a lot of good guys. So, yeah, after the show wrapped, my, it, and it lined up perfectly because my, my fiancé, my girl, um, is from New York. And mm-hmm. so she had relocated to New York while I was filming Tough. So I had a place to stay right away. So <laughs> I crashed. I moved in with my girl in New York City and was kind of commuting back and forth to Jersey for the first couple of months. Um, and now I'm living full-time in brick. So it just, everything fell in the line quite nicely. So, um, and I love, I love Jersey. I love Mark. I love Ricardo, Jamal, Henzo, and, and the rest of the guys on the team. It's great.
1: Well, I'll have to talk to you more about that when I see you for media day out in uh, New York city, but, uh, thank you for spending some time with us Tijara. I look forward to your fight with Roxanne. I hope you get what you're looking for. And, uh, I can't wait to see you fight. Thank you so much.
3: Awesome. Thank you for having me. All
1: right. There she goes. Appreciate her spending some time with us. All right, we go from uh, one great fighter to one who uh, is a great commentator, great fighter. I mean, he's a guy does a lot. He is uh, one of the best to ever do it. Quite frankly, I wanted to catch up with him, see how things are, and uh, he joins us now via Skype. One and only Randy Couture is here. Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Randy? Uh, one time I stopped by your gym. I doubt you remember it. It was in Vegas. It was a long time ago, and we had like an hour long talk about USA wrestling and what it would take to compete. And sure enough, yesterday, the U.S. team went four for four at the World Championships. Jordan Burroughs getting a medal. Jaden Cox, I believe, getting a medal. Uh, Let's see, David Taylor getting gold. It was truly, Ben Askren was saying, one of the best days in the history of the men's freestyle team. you got to be on cloud nine, huh?
0: Yeah, amazing. Amazing to watch. Uh, I feel like right now we have the best rules uh, for USA Wrestling and USA wrestling style of wrestling, some of the best athletes on the mat at this time. And we're in position to make history and win back-to-back world championships, which will be remarkable.
1: Uh, when was the last time the men's team did that?
0: I don't think we ever have. In fact, <laughs> I think the last, time, the last time we won the world championships was back in 1995, before last year. So... We're definitely on a, on a roll like a hunchback doing somersaults right now.
1: <laughs> I've never heard that one before. I'm going to take that one with me. Um, all right, so <laughs> you're with the PFL. Let me ask you, the, uh, the championships will be New Year's Eve day, but the regular season and the playoffs are now over. Your impression so far of how the season has gone?
0: Well, you know, I, I've been very, very impressed with these athletes and how they've stepped up, they've embraced the grind of this format and and uh, really just it's been so much fun to watch, to talk about and and uh, be involved with this year. So many great fights. So many guys stepped up and just really put it on the line. And uh, it, it's been very, very exciting.
1: The, uh, the benefits of the tournament are guys like, let's see, Ray Cooper coming out of nowhere. Two Jake Shields wins and, of course, some other ones as well. I'm wondering, though, what, from your vantage point, if you could make a couple of tweaks to how the, the system works. Like, I see a lot of bellyaching about the first round being the tiebreaker. Is that the best way to adjudicate things, you think?
0: Uh, you know, I, I, get, I get why it was set up that way. I mean, you got to establish some criteria if you're going to fight a two-round fight. There's a chance that, that those fights are going to end in a draw. And you know what? Why not first round? you can make a case, uh, come out strong, get after it, make it happen. Now, the downside to that is some guys have recognized that they've won the first round clearly, and then they shut off in the second round. They coasted out, they're okay with getting the draw, knowing they have the criteria in the bag. So uh, that, that's something I think we maybe need to look at, think about. And, you know, obviously these fighters are game- if we lay it out there, they're fighters, they're gonna figure out a way to make it work for
1: them. You know, one of the things I love that this tournament is revealing is that you get a guy like Vinny, Magalese, right? He'll be fighting Sean O'Connell in the light heavyweight finals. He's gonna be he's got one fight to win a million dollars. Same with Sean, by the way. And Sean I work with at Sirius XM. But you've got Vinny and Sean one fight away. In the case of Vinny, he's not trying to be somebody he's not when I think he was in the UFC. Some slug it out on the feet kind of guy. He's in there pulling guard. He's getting back to his roots. He's finding the way he wants to fight. I think the tournament format works for him. Not everybody works in every organization's format. I think is my point, Randy. And a guy like Vinny is thriving in the PFL rules.
0: Yeah, I. You know what? What I like about this format is there ain't no no amount of smack talk. No, you know, if your style is a Sean O'Connell style, or you're going to try and instigate that firefight and, and hope to land that left hand and put a guy out, then this is your format. If you're a guy like Vinny Magales you is going to try and find a way to put you on the ground and use his strength in that jujitsu to submit you. This is the perfect place for these guys. They can go out, be themselves and it's merit based. It, it's about winning the fights and finding a way to get a, get a guy where you need to get him to beat him.
1: Uh, okay. A couple of things I wanted to check in with you about, and I look forward to seeing those uh, finals on the 31st. The commentary gig. You're really good at it, Randy. That's no news to anybody who's been watching you do commentary for a while. How much are you enjoying it?
0: I'm having a blast. Uh, first of all, it's a great crew, a great group of guys from, from David Gibson and George Greenberg, you know, John Trattas, all these guys, all the way down to, to the guys I get to sit at the desk with. How can you not be excited sitting next to Boss Rutan? The guy's energy is contagious. Todd Harris is an absolute professional. Eve Edwards, Caroline Pierce, they do an amazing job of kind of bookending us, and and everything flows. It's, It's just a lot of fun.
1: Would you say that PFL is an organization that is based on what fighters want an organization to be based on? Sorry, repeat the question. Yeah, no worries. I'm saying, is it fair to characterize PFL as an organization that like, if fighters had their way and wanted to create an organization, this is basically what they create. will create? Is that a fair characterization?
0: I think that's a pretty fair character, characterization. I, I think if the fighters had their way, they might have a little more time between fights. <laughs> maybe not have to turn around quite as quickly as they're turning around at, you know, at six weeks, but, uh, I think they've adjusted. I think they figured it out and dialed it in and, and they're certainly getting after it. So again, I think you, you, uh, eliminate a lot of the BS. You don't have to talk smack. You don't have, I mean, if you want to do that, you can do that, but to to make it based on winning fights and, and the merit of your ability to go out there and do what you've trained to do, I mean that's that's the way a fighter would want it for sure.
1: All right, so let's let's uh, transition if we can. What is the latest that you know of with the Ali Act to MMA?
0: Um, my understanding is that uh, the lobbyists with the UFC uh, were, were very clever, uh, got to some people, and they kicked the uh, Ali Act and, and our our motion. To, to get it amended to a different committee now. So we're we're basically in a position where we are kind of had to start all over door knocking and, and doing it now instead of with Energy and Commerce, which is where the original OLLI Act was and where we have been working for the last two years and made great headway. We're now kind of starting over with a whole different committee. It's something to do with education, uh, which doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, so many other things in politics don't make sense to me either. So uh, uh, we're basically back to talking to congressmen in that committee and and trying to get it put up to to be voted on in that committee.
1: Is there a timetable?
0: I mean, we, we've been at this for two years. We're uh, we're pretty tenacious. We're you know we're a fighters organization. So. I think we're going to be at this as long as it as long as it takes. Anyone we really speak to sees it right away. It's it's a no brain. Why shouldn't we enjoy the same protections that boxers have been enjoying since the nineties to protect us from promoters uh, that, that are out to try and take advantage of, of the fighters? It's pretty simple. Um, so I, I just think it's it's a matter of time, but how much time? Is, there's no way to tell.
1: Um. That's it. I didn't know about that committee, that it got moved like that. When did that happen?
0: Uh, that, that just happened in, in the last few months, as, as we've rolled into this year, and, the, and then uh, the new Congress, uh, it, got, it got kicked out of energy and commerce where we've been working.
1: Now, I know this sounds like an, an unnecessarily political discussion. I don't mean to make it that way. Does, do the results of the impending midterms at all affect the chance of that being moved through committee or no? Uh,
0: I, I don't think uh, anything that happens with regard to which side of the aisle Congress and the Senate fall in in these midterms really affects it because we had a ton of support on both sides of the aisle. It's interesting if, if, if you're talking to somebody that's, that seems to be on the Democratic side of the aisle, if we start talking about health care, uh, these fighters making more money and being and, and being you know having to fight less, which is better for their health. They're taking less shots to the head. They're in hard training less. Uh, the person uh, on that side of the aisle gets it right away. If we start talking about a free and open market, uh, competitiveness, all those things, that that's the conversation I'm going to have with a Republican, somebody on the other side, of the more conservative side of the aisle. But both sides of the aisle see it clearly, see that it needs to be amended, and you know, so it, you just have to kind of know your audience and who you're talking to, and, and what those button issues are for for folks depending on which side of the aisle they're on. When did Joe Kennedy
1: the third get involved?
0: Joe's been involved from the start. Uh, he's been a big advocate. He's friends with Mark Wayne Mullins. They they train together at the gym there, hmm. and uh, so Joe has been. A uh, sponsor of the, of the amendment uh, since the beginning with Mark Wayne Mullins from the, the Republican from
1: Oklahoma. Interesting. I thought it was relatively recent. That is, that's quite an interesting pair, Mark Wayne Mullins and Joe Kennedy the Third. But I guess that's what you're looking for, right? Bipartisanship. Um, well,
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely have to have bipartisanship. And, and and again, I think Joe gets it. He understands. He's a fan of the, of the sport, and uh, certainly fighter safety and fighter health care are something that that he understands.
1: Uh, Randy, real quickly, what do you make of the efforts of Leslie Smith and Project Spearhead? Have you guys had any discussions together at all about uh, anything? I'm a, I'm, I'm
0: uh, I've spoke to Leslie a couple of times. Obviously, she was involved with the MMAFA early on, and then she's kind of jumped to a couple different ships, all all in a way to I think attempt to to get a collective bargaining agree- agreement for uh, athletes that are signed with one of the promotions obviously the UFC uh, I think that's short-sighted uh, I think it, it's not taking into account all the other fighters that aren't signed with the UFC uh, I think that the, the union model doesn't fit we're 1099 independent contracting employees we're not employees uh, collective bargaining agreement and a, and and a, a union suggests that we're employees of the promotion that that does nothing but solidify the UFC's monopoly in the sport if we got a collective bargaining agreement and tried to form a UFC union. So I I just think that's short-sighted. It cuts out a lot of fighters like these fighters that are fighting in the PFL or or fighters that are fighting for Bellator uh, that that won't enjoy the protections that, that they deserve from coming together. I think a fighters association is a model that fits a lot better.
1: Where does Bellator come down on the efforts of extending the Ali Act to MMA? I've heard a lot of different rumors. What do you know about their involvement or lack thereof?
0: Um, I think been supportive. Obviously, my my son fights for Bellator. I've done some brand ambassador stuff for Bellator in the past. They've they've at least verbally been supportive of the movement. Uh, Obviously, about 90% of the revenue in the sport comes through the UFC and Bellator, PFL, these other organizations are are fighting over the other 10% of the fighters and the revenue that come in. Um, so anything that levels that playing field makes it more competitive. I mean, why shouldn't the Bellator heavyweight champion, whoever wins this fight between Bader and Emilienko coming up in the Grand Prix, be able to, to market and, and pursue a fight against the heavyweight champion from the UFC? That's a free and open market. That, that's what would happen in boxing. Uh, but that because of the exclusivity of the contracts in in our sport and the lack of protection that the Act provides, that will never happen in our sport. And that would be a huge fight. That would be an amazing thing.
1: All right. Speaking of interesting fights, I've got to get your opinion on this. As you know, two of your former foes, uh, Chuck Liddell and Tito are going to be fighting. I looked this up. Did you realize that Chuck is older than Oscar de la Hoya, who was the one promoting the contest? I didn't even realize that until I had (laughs) verified it. But uh, <laughs> your impressions of their like, what, I, I don't know how to ask this question other than what do you make of what's happening?
0: Well, I, I mean, I'm not too concerned about the age, honestly. I, I, I fought right up to where Chuck's at right now um, at a high level. My my only concern with that is that Chuck hasn't been competing, hasn't been sparring, hasn't hasn't been doing anything in the fight realm other than regular strength conditioning for the last eight years since he retired. So that that you know, puts the the pressure on him to get back up into fight shape, back up and get the timing back that we're, you know, we're used to seeing Chuck have going into a fight. And he had that style where where that timing was very, very important. He had a, it wasn't that he's the biggest, strongest or best athlete. He had a very unique timing to to find you right out on the end of one of those long levers and make it a short night. Now, whether he still has that timing, that's the question. Now, Chuck, or Tito rather has been active. He fought twice last year. He fought Sonnen. You know, he's been in some big fights with Bellator. He's been very active. He's still in fight shape and in fight mode. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think there's still huge names, both of them, marquee names, names that anybody who's a fan of the sport recognizes. And, uh, you know maybe this is the start of the of the master's division of mma
1: did uh, golden boy contact you have you been approached to come out of retirement
0: uh i actually spoke with both chuck and tito i'm friends with both those guys and and they're interested in me possibly commentating the fight which would be fun um i would i would have to get an a, an exception from my pfl contract to be able to do that uh which i'm not opposed to asking for i think it would do anything but but help the PFL, uh, and get more exposure as, as golden boy kind of starts, uh, you know, and this may be a one-off with golden boy. Who knows? I, I'm hoping it's successful for both these guys and the promotion because it d- doesn't hurt to have more options, more places for fighters to go and, and be a professional fighter.
1: And who wins on November 24th?
0: Well, I, like I said, you know, I, I think that, the onus is always on the guy who won the first and, and both, you know, obviously the first two fights, Chuck won. um, what's he going to change? What's he going to do now that the, the real, uh, hard question is what kind of shape and what kind of timing is Chuck going to bring into this fight after being off for the last eight years? Uh, so I, I think the challenges are really there for, for Chuck Liddell. Uh, is he capable of, of, Getting in there and getting it done, absolutely. I, I think anybody who knows the sport is, is crazy if they count him out, but I think it, he's up against it a little more than Tito is. Tito's been more, way more active, had some big fights. Uh, will he be able, be able to go out and implement his game plan, which has got to be getting in Chuck's face, finding a way to get Chuck on the ground and take some gas out of Chuck, uh, certainly not standing and trying to trade with Chuck and find out if he does have that timing. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting.
1: All right. Well, I hope you there commentating. No one knows those two quite like you. And uh, you've been doing a fantastic job for the PFL. I've really enjoyed your commentary. I cannot wait to see the finals on December, New Year's Eve day here at uh, New York City. Yeah. So uh, congratulations on all your success. I'm glad you're still relevant in the community and keep us updated on the Ali Act. We're looking forward to seeing what happens with that as well. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having having me on. Anytime, Randy. All right, let's do it. It is time now, ladies and gentlemen, for the Monday Morning Analyst. (laughs) All right, donkeys. Oh, why don't you put it so I can get around? All right, here we are. Time now for the Monday Morning Analyst right here on the MMA Hour. We are a little bit short on time, so let's get to it. There was PFL over the weekend, but there was nothing I really wanted to break down. So I decided to go a different route. And I was thinking and I was thinking and I was thinking. I was trying to find a number related to Tony Ferguson and what he offers that would make a fight with Habib Nurmagomedov interesting. And what I mean is the fight's already interesting, but maybe there's some kind of statistical representation of that. And I thought maybe it's his takedown defense, but I looked at it. It's about 77%. You look at the guys that Habib's fought. Edson's got like 80. Ally Quint is right in the same ballpark. It's not remarkable in that sense. Um, you know, number of finishes, not remarkable. I mean, yes, it's a high level, but um, it, it just, nothing statistically stood out except one number. However many fights Habib Nurmagomedov's been in, what, 10-plus in the UFC? However many rounds that is. I mean, you know, we've got to be close to 20 or more. There was one number that stuck out to me about him, which is how many times in a fight in the UFC has somebody attempted a submission against Habib Nurmagomedov? And the answer is one time, one time in all those rounds, in all those fights. We can go now to the screen. I'll show you which one that was. It's apparently from the Michael Johnson fight. Now you're going to say Michael Johnson fight. When did he attempt a submission? This is it. Uh, He goes for a takedown, he gets stuffed, and I'm just going frame by frame here, I'm not playing video, so chill out over there. You see him go for this, and uh, Nurmagomedov is, he's trying to use that overhook to shove him up against the fence, and you're going to see Johnson just jump to guillotine here, right? Not really a strong position. Yes, you want the head tucked, but it's not tucked enough. I don't know what kind of grip he's got underneath. There's just not enough here to give me a great degree of confidence. He didn't lock his feet up. You want to be more on a hip, but you're next to the fence. So, like, you've kind of jumped to the position where you've limited your mobility around the body to, to properly lock it up. It's just not enough there. It's kind of high. Also kind of His own shoulder's kind of tucked versus kind of driving down a little bit. And There's a lot of different ways to finish with the arm inside on the guillotine. I'm not going to go over it, but look what happens as soon as he does this. He tries to lock it up. It's not really there. You can see it's not really there. You can see you want to be covering all of that, man. You're like on the crown of the head. You, there are varieties, like Jeff Glover's got some variety where you can do on the crown of the head, but, you know, Michael Johnson's not Jeff Glover. So, in any case, uh, it's just not, there's just nothing there. And was going to break this pretty quickly. Let me move on, just so I can move this. So he breaks it. Like, he pops his head out. Come on, pop your head out. There it is. He pops his head out very quickly. All right, it's 324 on the clock, right? Watch this. I'm just going to jump. Now it's 319. Hold on. 320. 322, he stands. What have I always said? Much easier to pass on your feet than on your knees. You can pass on your knees. Always easier to stand on your feet. So what does Nurmagomedov do? He stands on his feet. Then he breaks guard. He's going to open it, and he's going to put a knee in between. And then he's going to, let's go back a little bit here. Watch this. This is just ridiculous. I'm going a little too fast. All right. So he puts the knee in between, right? And then he just does a knee cut through, shreds the guard, and then goes right to side control here. Uh, Like it's nothing. Okay. Remember, it was 324 when he jumped. So 20, uh, let's see, 23, 22, 21, 20, 19, 18, 17. Eight seconds later, he's in side control. Eight seconds is all that took. You can call that a submission attempt if you want in Nurmagomedov's career. But to me, it's like, and if you just keep going further, it's like, here you are, 12 seconds later, and he's in Mounted Crucifix. Yes, that's, a, that's technically a submission attempt, but what's the lesson here? The lesson here is that nobody attempts submissions on Habib Nurmagomedov. Now, there's one clear reason for that. They're constantly worried about the takedown. They're constantly worried that they have to defend themselves, and they don't want to be down there. And once they're down there, he's already working from an advantageous position. But Tony's not really like that. Tony Ferguson's very different. He's First of all, he averages... Uh, more submissions attempted per fight than almost anyone else that Nurmagomedov has fought, notwithstanding Rafael dos Anjos. He's got a really, really high level of that. And in fact, he has many submission wins. He's got a couple of rear naked chokes. He's got many darses. He's got a lot of different things, but there's basically going to be two scenarios, if you really consider it, two scenarios where a submission is probably, or I should say, where a submission is more probable than others. One is going to be standing, some kind of guillotine Darce variety, or on the feet with his, uh, excuse me, on his back using his feet and hips to create something from guard. My belief is, and I'm going to give you some reasons to look at this, my belief is that his best chance, Tony's chance, is going to be with some kind of guillotine Darce combo. But the key issue for me is, how is Tony different than anyone else that Habib Nurmagomedov has fought? Lots of different ways. One of those ways is, he's going to have a much greater submission threat. And not because Tony is, like, people just say, oh, Tony's good at submissions. That doesn't fucking mean anything. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. It, 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 you know, I, who ca- Like, I'm good at being tall unless I'm sitting down. Like, that's that's not relevant. If you're not put in a position where you can use them, who cares? Or if you don't even want to use them, who cares? Maybe you're good at certain submissions that this person's really good at negating, so who cares? Being good at submissions doesn't tell you anything. I need to know in what scenarios... You're good at him, which is why Tony has a takedown defense rate of 77%. Look, he's going to go on his back, folks. It's going to happen. So the question is from guard, what can he do? And when he stuffs a couple of takedowns, because if he misses on a few before he gets them, what can he do from that, from that front headlock position? Those are your two, I would argue, likely most common scenarios where something like this is going to happen. Here's what I would submit to you. Tony can do a lot. He's the only guy I've said who can create gold from alchemy. But as far as I'm concerned, the chance of him getting a submission from guard is going to be very, very low. Number one, Habib's got good passing, as you've seen, and I think his defense there is really strong. I don't think that Tony's best submissions are there, but I do think that from that front headlock, he is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Let me go through and paint a picture about why I think that to be true. We can skip all the rest of this. So this is going to take us to, uh, this is Tony Ferguson versus Kevin Lee, as you can see here. What are you gonna notice? He's working from full guard here. This is still in round three, about midway through. He's going to attempt, as you see here, an arm bar. Uh, I don't like Kevin Lee's posture here. His knees and his he, look at look at look at the weight of, of Kevin Lee, right? Look at his weight. It's moving this direction. Yes? Yeah? So why is that important? Because everything's not, you don't want to be totally vertical, but you kind of wanna be short and stacked. When you when you get when your hips get pulled up... When your back gets pulled forward, this is where submissions begin to happen. This is where you can frame underneath, you can turn, and the elbows, excuse me, the arm bars begin to happen. In fact, that's exactly what you're going to see happen here. Watch this. You always kind of want to have your elbows tucked, and you want to have your posture down and tight. When you start bending over in guard, that's when all the bad stuff begins. You can get triangled there, you can get arm barred there, you you don't want to be stretched out. You want to be kind of vertical and compact. So watch, he's got one foot on the hip here. He's just going to push him over and he's going to frame. He misses on the first attempt, but then puts the head to the side. And now he's got an arm bar. Now you can see there's already a bit of a, I believe this is, um, I believe this is, I could be wrong about this, but I believe this is Kevin trying to block, but it doesn't matter either way, because here's what ends up happening. Tony stretches him out, which is fine. And then he does this. What have we talked about? right? That's the problem. This has to be on the back of his head so that he rolls and you can come up on top, Juju Katami, Ronda Rousey style. So he doesn't do that. So what are you going to imagine he does? And we saw this against Vinny Magalash in PFL. Someone tried this and it didn't work, but you know, not everyone's Vinny Magalash. He's going to helicopter around, right? Yep. That's exactly what he does. Look, he comes around and he just helicopters and he comes over, he tries for an omoplata, but it's not really there. And so he just comes around Here we are, and he uh, goes back to guard, sticks his arm in, two arms in, and he lives to fight another day, right? Not a whole lot there to show. Now you get a little bit closer. I mentioned before I didn't like Kevin Lee's posture in that first scenario. Here's another one, right? Look at this. This is, if you're Kevin Lee, and remember he had the staph infection, the bad weight cut, his posture to me right now is terrible, terrible, terrible posture. Joe, do you know why? Right. Look at this. Look at he's got two feet in the hips, meaning. He's got your neck control. He's got your posture down. He, with those two feet in the hips, he can lift you. He can push you. He can turn you. He can direct your weight and your body wherever he wants to go. Look at your weight all the way forward. He can create the space and then whip up underneath for, if you want to go to, 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 to um, deep half, he could do that. For armbar, he can do that. For triangles, he can do that. Your posture should never be this, never, unless it's super tight and it's in controlled. But then what you notice is, look at, you look at the arms here, just a second, of Kevin Lee. Hold on. Like, look at this is Herb Dean here. Look at our big John. It's kind of spaced out in front of him, right? They're not, the elbows aren't tight and compact. He's not T Rexing. So it's just a lot of problems all compounding each other here. And he eventually gets triangled here. Look at this feet on the hips. Look, he's not on his toes, weights bent forward. I mean, it's terrible, terrible, terrible positioning. If you see somebody like that, you know, you can't move as fast. You have to move on your knees to get around, or to get to your feet, you'll actually lean into your opponent to, like, jump to your toes, and then you're trying to move, and it's, it's just a problem. So he's got no live toes, weight bent forward, arms kind of out in front of him. He's not T-Rexing up. Everything about this is bad. Tony's hips, look at Tony's hips, off the ground, yeah? He's not flat. Number one, like, people always like, give me some good advice if I want to start jujitsu. jitsu Do that shit. Have your hips off the ground. Off the ground makes them mobile. It can change the angle. It gives them dexterity. It gives them speed. It gives them lots of different things. That, space off the ground, and he's able to do it because he's got his feet on his hips. Remember Demetrius Johnson having the feet in the hips of, um, in the first fight against uh, Henry Cejudo? What did he do? Got him off of him. And if someone's got your feet in your hips, you have to fight that immediately. Immediately. It's like the same thing they always tell you. If, you got, if you're on top of somebody in guard, let's say— and the person underneath reaches through to grab your collar, bro, that is the first order of business. You need to start breaking that collar grip, especially if they get deep inside where they can get the tag behind, and they can begin to pull you, and then they can just come across for all all kinds of cross chokes and whatnot, right? That's what you need to do. Foot in the hips, problem, problem city. Anyway, so what does he do? He frames out here. He can't get the hand inside. He goes to a triangle. Right? Let's just look at this. It goes to the triangle. Come on, though. God damn it. Oh, my computer's frozen. That's fun. Hang on. Are you shitting me, Joe? I mean, can I get a raise? Can I get a raise? Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to fix this. For fuck's sake. Oh, for crying out. I didn't even get to show the good submissions. Hold on. Could, do I have time to restart? I do, don't I? Yes, I'm going to restart. Hold on. Let me hard restart here. Here's what I'm going to do while we're getting this set back up again. Give me a second. He gets the triangle. I'm going to go back to this in just a second. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because you got to see how he finishes the triangle. It's a nice finish because he had to dig deep. Remember, Tony been taken down a number of times. You remember the first round, you even had Kevin Lee taking mount. There's a lot of issues, right? Here we go. Let's get this back up. Get this back up and fire and player. Here we are. Bro, it wouldn't be a show with me involved if there wasn't some kind of catastrophic fucking. Here we go. All right. Let's see if we can get this working. Now we got it. Let's go back, please. If we can. There we are. Oh, for F's sake. Hold on. Here we are. All right. See that? Go back. Go back, please. Go back. Here we are. Oh, for crying out loud. No, I don't want VPN. Dude, this is so low budget. It's sad. It's sad. My, my career is satire of an actual career. All right. Let's see if I can get this going without it moving. All right. You get the idea here. Now, watch. He finally locks up the triangle, yeah? Let's move this to a spot that makes sense. Okay. I want to show you this. Tony moved the arm to the outside of the body rather than having it across I'm not sure why I understand why he did that. That may be a unique finish that he knows. I don't know that finish. Can't say it's wrong. He gets the tap, but that's usually not what you want to do. Remember we had last week Vinny getting the Kimura when someone goes behind the arm. So I don't quite understand that one, but again, it works. So far be it for me to criticize, but this is what I want to show you real quickly here. I mean, just what the fuck, Lord, what, why, why God, why, why me, Lord, why me? All right, I can't. I don't know what's going on. No, I don't want you to give my passwords. Do we understand why life is this way? Why, why does it have to be hard? It doesn't actually need to be this difficult. For fuck's sake. All right, one more time. Put the Money More Analyst thing up. I know a way to fix this. One more time. I'm going to restart this bad boy, and then we're going to get this one more time. The point being is if you look at the particulars of the triangle itself, what you're going to find let's just. Just death. Death from above, 1979. What you're going to find is that you had Kevin Lee with his arm this way, and Tony pulls the head. This side of the neck was totally exposed. That's not to say it's a bad triangle. If the triangle works, it's fine. But the triangle should close both sides like a rear naked choke. It should have everything collapsed. And it didn't. And that was the problem. So to me, it's like you got the triangle but you got it in a way that was suboptimal. In fact, you'll notice Tony goes to the armbar, doesn't get it, goes for the triangle, gets it, but gets it on an opponent who I think was severely compromised. And he even attempts uh, a bit of a leg lock in the lando Venata fight. In the lando Venata fight, you're going to see him. I'm not going to go through it now because Lord knows my computer will shit the bed. But the point being is, no, I don't care. Um, I'll I'll tell you when to cue it up. Don't, Don't put it up just yet. The point being is, with his legs, he can get submissions done. But against a guy like Habib, who's passing, who's got good balance, who's got good posture, who's got good sub-defense, it's really not going to work. The bigger issue, for me, is a different scenario. And that's getting it to work with uh, him on his, his, uh, his feet using his guillotine dar setups. Now, if I can set this up without this thing collapsing on me, I'm going to do it. Let's see if I can get it. I'm going to go right to it. Here. I want to show you something. Go back up real quickly. Hopefully this works. Here he is attempting a guillotine choke on Lando. Lando spots it and stops it. You see that? This whole side of the neck is exposed. He should be able to breathe just fine. But Tony recognizes that, snaps him back in, and then switches the sub. Watch. Watch how he switches it. Guillotine, guillotine, blocked, 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 blocked. Come out over the top, behind the arm, which the guy will give you, and watch. He's choking with the left arm with the guillotine, right? Watch him feed the right and, for Christ's sake, fuck off. Feed the right, and now lock it up on the other side. You see that? So he was coming with the left, and with the right, couldn't work, lets it go, comes around the back, and then uses that to feed into a darts. Why is that important? This is a scenario that he could easily find himself in with Habib Nurmagomedov, number one. Number two, this is the key for me. When he's on the ground, he can go from different forms of control. But with the 50-50 he tried on Lando Venata in the knee bar, that it wasn't a whole lot there. With the triangle, I think he got a severely compromised opponent. With the arm bar, he got it and then had lost it, lost it and tried to go back from guard, but it didn't really work. With these front headlocks, He can go from submission to submission. He can chain them together, and he can get into position very quickly. You don't have to make many mistakes. In fact, your defense sets up his next move. I didn't necessarily see that with his guard. Tony's guard is good. It's very good. But his Darce is one of a kind. His Darce setups are one of a kind. His guillotine to Darce is one of a kind. That, to me, is your much more likely scenario where something bad happens for Habib and something good happens for Tony Ferguson. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. This is still a work in progress. But there you go, ladies and gentlemen. This is an interesting stat to keep in mind. Only one time has he had to defend it, Nurmagomedov. And it was a terrible, tactically ill-advised attempt from Michael Johnson. This guy can go much better in that regard. I would like to see it. Tony Ferguson is the right fight for Habib Nurmagomedov. Fuck all that Conor McGregor talk. That's the guy who should be fighting because that's the guy who poses an interesting challenge. There you go. That's the Monday Morning Analyst. All right. I believe as I ready my headphones. All right, Danny, tell me where we are. We have Miss Singano on the phone. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. We're joined now by a lady who has an important I should say, uh, a featherweight fight coming up when she takes on Megan Anderson. This will be here very soon for UFC 232. The one and only Kat Zingano joins the show. Kat, how are you?
4: I'm good. How are you guys doing?
1: I'm doing quite well. Thank you for making some time for us. I really appreciate it. Um, So let's just jump right into it, Kat. Uh, Why did you take this fight?
4: Um. Why I take it? I don't know. I mean, why? I guess I'm a fighter. Fighters fight. Uh, I don't know. I was feeling pretty good. And I had, um, you know, I I was seeing that, you know, that fight between Amanda and Chris is going down. And I I really, you know, that fight's been on my radar between one one of each of them for a while. Um, And then, you know, they were saying something regarding having uh, an alternate for that. So, you know, I raised my hand. Said, let me know if you want me to start getting ready because I will. And then, um, I don't know, pretty shortly after, I get the phone call telling me to get ready, and then another phone call saying, you know what, how about putting me on that card? So, um you know, Megan, Megan, I think Megan is someone that, you know, I've kind of also thought for a while too, you know, that'd be an interesting one. Um, the 45 division isn't that big or established yet, you know, and she's out there and she's big and she's tough and, you know, um, there's been a lot of hype behind her. I know that she was uh, rather accomplished in Invicta stuff. So, um, you know, also a good test. You know, I just really want to get out there and get my hands on people and kind of figure out what the hierarchy of this sport with the women. And, um, and I thought it would be a good good match. So when they threw that option out there, I was pretty excited for it. And my coaches are excited for it. And, um, you know, it all aligns. So
1: there we go. That's a good reason as any. Uh, let's backtrack here a little bit. So you were looking to get the cyborg fight, and they told you to get ready, or they like what? Did you specifically request an opponent, or just a timeline? Um,
4: no. I mean, they had already they had already announced that they were doing cyborg Amanda, and then they were. I believe it was Chris that was out there saying that she wanted to. Um. Petition for there to be an alternate training to get ready because she was worried Amanda was going to pull out. I see. Okay. And I'm I'm sitting there. I get it. You know what I mean? Like I I I don't know how many times Amanda has been pulled out or has pulled herself out, but enough for it to be a concern. And so I was like, well, there's a likeliness there, and maybe you know that's what's up. I'll I'll join in, see what ends up happening. You know, get ready for it. Like I've wanted to be in camp. I've been feeling antsy. I've been feeling like like you know stationary right now has been kinda of hard. So um, you know, I had goals of wanting to get a third fight within the year. And, you know, that's really what um was open. So I wasn't sure that it was gonna happen. I was hoping it was gonna happen, but, you know, this is uh this is what's next and I'm just excited to have something on, on the calendar right now. Um I've been feeling on fire. I've been feeling excited to get my hands on people again, like I've been I've been good. Everything's been right lately. So it's like uh I just wanna keep that momentum.
1: Fair enough. So many questions. So let's get through them a little bit here. Do you believe that let's say something happens to Amanda that you'll get the call up to the main event and not Megan? Yes. Did they did they tell you that?
4: Yes, I do. I mean that was that's the the how this originally started. So I'm gonna assume and yeah, I mean that it's It's clear. I mean, and I believe Cyborg was trying to um, say that it would be tournament style. So um, maybe me and Megan would be the number one contender fight. They're the title fight. So our winner fights their winner is um, kind of the vibe that I'm getting. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. Results talk, you know.
1: So you've always been really, really strong at 135, maybe the strongest competitor physically um, in that division. Uh, that gives you an advantage in going from 135 to 145, but I'm wondering how you think you match up against the 145ers physically.
4: I mean, I'm a really big 135er. You know, I've I I cut down from 160. You know, I have I have incredible plans set in place for that. It's something that I've you know I've been cutting weight since I was 12 years old. You know, my body is not too happy with doing it, but it, it gets the job done and um so to be able to cut and stop at 145 versus stop at 135 like that's amazing to me um i still have plans and designs in the 135 division but um you know i really because i mean at this point it's about girls my size so that would be girls 135 and girls 145 like ultimately the goal would be to have the strap in both divisions um but yeah going up like i get to lift differently you know i get to lift way heavier um work on different dynamic and explosive movements that that might have put on a uh, size or weight yeah go ahead sorry and um those are all I'm sorry uh, those are all things that I uh I don't know I get to I get to implement and use now that I get to um you know use that extra 10 pounds so no, it's it's going to be fun. Um, I'm watching myself with my coaches just be excited, having me do other things, and it, it's, it's it's exciting, I think. I look forward
1: to it a lot. All right, so Megan Anderson uh, did great in Invicta and then had the fight against Holly Holm. Uh, um, have you seen it? And if so, what do you make of her performance there?
4: I mean, she's a large girl. You know, she definitely has the length and the size in her division. Or uh, Sorry, in her um, in her back pocket, but, uh, you know, depending on opponent strengths and stuff, like, I mean, I like, I like those long legs. That's a whole lot of legs to grab onto, you know? Um, and, uh, I felt like she, you know, I, I can definitely move faster than her. Um, I, I think I'm stronger. Or I think I have a lot more weapons and tools to use. Like, um, you know, she, she got that, uh UFC rest off so she knows what it's like to be in there now and, and I expect that it'll be a a much more exciting fight. But I, I, I'm not sleeping on her. I think she's a really tough opponent and um you know she's a game. She's got that look in her eye and I think it's gonna be a uh, you know it, I think it's a very interesting, very good matchup.
1: Yeah, it certainly is. Um let's let's backtrack here a little bit. You got the win over Marion Renault back in July. Now that stopped a three fight skid. Uh you won that one convincingly can you describe how important that was for you to come out on top there?
4: I mean it was super important i like you said i I was coming off of three losses, and um all of those losses are people that I could have beaten, you know, but life happened, and for some reason, that was the way the path went, and the way my body and my mind went for those fights and um you know like I gotta just take them one at a time and uh learn from each of them which I did and make the adjustments that I needed to which I did and it ended me back up in the W column so now I have a recipe for how I'm fighting now what's normal to me like what I can do with my you know camp and my body that are um gonna have me show up optimally so that's what I'm doing and there's a lot of relief you know i i i'm excited training for this item I'm, I'm pumped i feel like a little magician you know running around with with my skills and my confidence so it's um yeah it's was, it was a great win uh i realize there's work to do and i'm doing that work so it's it's you know really just time
1: when you say magician what do you mean that's interesting
4: um i don't know there's you know finding the ways to be elusive uh Moving, um, just feeling happy with it, like excited with it, uh, and enticed to be putting on a show, like you know, the, the entertainment, but at the same time, the passion. Like, there's so much purpose in it to me, and to get through all the things I've gotten through that, like, make every little success so much more worth it and worth it for me, but also worth it for the fans. So, I'm just you know, I'm living in the moment with all of this, I'm, I'm having a good time putting it together and putting on a show. Like, I, I loved how it felt to not only beat Marion, but to have fireworks with it again, you know, that felt great. And, uh, and, and that, that feeling in itself is very addicting. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for those.
1: Now, did I hear you correctly in saying that the goal is to be the first women's champ champ?
4: Um, I, I, I mean, I'm not sure I said those exact words, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I was, I want to, I want to know, the hierarchy with the women. Like, I want to know what's up, like who, who's the, the greatest of all times? Like who, who can figure out how to beat everybody? Like what, what's regardless of the style, like how, how, I mean, it's one thing to be a great fighter. It's another to be a great athlete, you know? And, and when you have both, and you're working on both, like, those are, those are ways to find out, like, where you are and what position among everybody, like, I have high, high respect for every girl in this division, but we are in, in this sport, but, you know, what we're all doing here is trying to figure out where we are, you know, in, in all of this, and, like, I, I want to be on that mountaintop, you know, and I have every intention and every ounce of my body working to get there, and, and then to see the vision once we're up there, like, I am, I'm excited, and I think I can beat uh, and figure out every single woman in this division. And, you know, obviously that's talk until it's done, but I'm, I'm excited to be doing the work.
1: You know, what's interesting is if you do well in this fight, maybe you get a title shot, but let's say there's some kind of complication. Don't you think it's possible that a strong performance at UFC 232 also helps your chances of getting a bantamweight title shot?
4: absolutely absolutely i mean that amanda's up at one or that fight that 135 or 145 right now you know i'm a 35 or going up to 45 like i understand that this this is a lot of views this is a lot of a lot of uh people looking at at this fight with okay what would happen if they were at this weight well what happens now that they're at that weight well how you know she gave up this or she uh put up that or you know what i mean there's there's so much, you know, quote unquote math to do here and, um, results are obviously going to be, uh, something people think of, you know, and it's, um, you know, it's very interesting. I think it's a super interesting tournament if you want to call it that between the four of us, cause, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of components that are, are, are different than normal, you know? And so it's, it's all, um, it, it, it'll be a great, uh, fan event for sure to see that those fights that night.
1: You know, it's interesting to me. I I don't know how you feel about it, Cat, but I felt like, you know, look, Ronda had a great run, but your fight against her was not really representative of your uppermost ability. And I wonder if you feel like now that you're on the back on the win column, you still have some time left in this sport. You still have time, do you agree or no, that you 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 can still show um you can still show exactly how talented you are. I don't I don't know that you've actually done that yet in the UFC and this is one of those steps to getting to that kind of place.
4: Yeah. I mean, one thing that I know of myself, and I've told myself is like, man, like these last five years, they're definitely not the best years of my life. You know what I mean? That is uh, within that. I mean, there's the cliche, like I definitely not owning or buying that like your best years are behind you. That's not like, all I've done is grow and heal and work and, experiment and put things in towards finding me and my best self and my best circumstances and my best, um, you know, personal life and home life and, and doing everything that I can to just grow as a person from the things that were the worst things in my life. So to consider that I could possibly have like this, like great athletic career sitting alongside the like <clears throat> the toughest, hardest, craziest years of my life. Like I, I can't consider that that is, all, you know, and, um, the more that I recover, the more that I grow, the more that I actually get to see the muscle memory come along with the confidence, come along with the clarity and the closure and, um, being completer with things, more complete with things. Like I'm watching myself get better at the things that I'm passionate about. And that is exciting to me. And when I'm excited, this is all easy. Like everything about this is easy. I never started this sport to be famous or to make money. I started this sport because it's creative. And because I got to play and I feel those things again and it makes it just so much more, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's more me. It's more me and I feel more me and that ends up being what makes me so dangerous.
1: So, so if I'm reading this right, this is not necessarily at 145 a one-off for you. You could go back and forth, you think, for perhaps a while if the opportunity is right.
4: I won't even say if the opportunity is right. I mean, my goals are to have the belt at each division and beat both girls at each div- beat both divisions of all of the girls. And, um, you know, whatever that ends up looking like, like, should I just end up sticking to what I have as far as my goals and as far as what I think I'm capable of? Like, that's just time and what it's have. Obviously I, you know my goals were to come up through the 135 division win that and then go 145 because I was the champion at 125 so to have them be in order was my vision but not a damn day of this entire journey has been to the standards of my vision so for me to go from uh 35 and then maybe get the 45 belt first you know however realistic that is at this moment and then to go to 35 or whatever like i i don't care like the the object is, is the game. You know, the journey is what, you know, is malleable. So, um, you know, however that ends up looking, like, I'm not trying to be too controlling of it. What I'm trying to do is just do the work and see where it lands me. And so far, that's been a great plan for me.
1: You know, you're one of the few women, one of four only, to get a win over Amanda Nunes. What do you make of her chances against Cyborg?
4: Yeah. I mean, I have no idea. I know Amanda hits hard. I know Cyborg hits hard. I know, um, I mean, I, if either of them decide to go to the ground, who knows what that looks like? Like, I, I don't know, you know, um, uh, she's, uh, everybody's grown. Everyone's done work since Amanda fought. And uh, since I fought, you know, we both have changed a lot within training camps and living arrangements and, uh, I mean life, you know, in general. And I mean, she could have improved. She could have stayed the same. She could, you know, when I fought her, she was very good. Um, uh, she almost stopped me in the beginning, but then I came back around and crushed her and that, you know, that's a good fighter. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, everyone at this level is very good and, and you're never guaranteed a night. So it's very possible. Amanda beats Cyborg, you know, it's very possible Cyborg keeps her reign. So, um, I don't know. It'll definitely be interesting. A lot of work has been done on both women.
1: And then certainly I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't ask about your general direction you took. You know, a a few years ago, you moved out to the West Coast, I believe. Uh, You're out there with Alliance. Um, From social media, it seems like you're quite happy with the choice. Reflecting back on it now as you venture into this big fight at 145, are you satisfied? Did you get out of the West Coast what you were looking for?
4: Yeah. I mean, I wanted a fresh start. I wanted something new. Colorado is amazing and it's my home. And, um, you know, like a lot happened there and it it was, I feel like I wasn't able to like really grow, uh, any more than I I was. I, I got to my best there, but I hit a ceiling, you know, and, um, it was time to make some changes both for me and my child. And, um, so we did and we drove West. We came out here, um, a whole new, set of like things to have no idea what to do with, you know, but that, that ends up being an incredible canvas, you know, found just kind of followed the paths and went to the places that they led and, you know, learned more, did more, uh, found what ended up being the right fits for me as far as coaching and, um, as far as friends and where to live, put them in school, all of that, you know, so life has definitely changed. It looks very different. Um, but the number one goal was, you know, I have put so much time and effort into this career. Like I want to be all in. I want to have known and done when I'm 80 that I walked away from this, having been a hundred percent committed to, to seeing it through, you know, and also showing my son what that kind of commitment looks like, regardless of, you know, what happens along the way, because this is something I've been passionate about my whole life. and um, that in itself was, you know, the drive I needed and there's been lots of ups and downs, lots of curves I didn't expect, you know, um, some stops I didn't really look at too happily, but, um, at the end of the day, like we're happy and we're healthy and I'm finding what it is that makes me, uh, my best. And, you know, he's got a smile on his face and I'm, I'm grateful for all of that. And the rest of it is, you know, still to be written.
1: Um, real quickly, a lot of fighters won't even entertain the idea of like what a loss would have meant for their career. But if, and again, you won that Marion Renault fight soundly, a unanimous decision, but it was an easy call. Uh, but if you had lost that fight, did, wh- did had you given any thought to what that might've meant?
4: No, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. There's no meaning to that. Like it, it's me continuing to try things and then when they work, awesome. Okay. You try it try more. And when they don't work, awesome. Okay. Try more. You know, like I don't see it as these like, uh, deal breaker events that are going to tell me what to do with my life. Like I know what I'm passionate about it. I know I'm going to see it through. Like, uh, the past of the wins don't matter. The past of the losses don't matter. Like when I'm in it and I'm in it. So all of that has no meaning to me.
1: Fair enough. All right, well, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about your fight at UFC 232. I cannot wait to see you back in the octagon. Three times in one year. That's a uh, that's a healthy clip of activity. And thank you so much for spending some time with us, Kat. We, we, 232 can't get here soon enough. We really appreciate it.
4: Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good day.
1: You too. All right. There she goes. Cannot wait to see that. That's going to be such a fun, fun event and a fun night. All right. We are done with the Monday Morning Analyst. We are done with the guests who call in. We are done with uh, the tweets and the opinions and all that kind of stuff. It's time now for you to be a guest on the show. It's time now for the sound off. And joining me as always is the uh, Chambeya Tamayala, the one and only Danny Segura. I'm a little tired with the things. How you doing there, Dan's man? You got to get creative. I know. I need. A, I needed a better one. But yeah. what can I, you, you know what? You won't appreciate this. You're the. Um, you're the. How about this? You're the czar face to my action Bronson. How about that? Okay, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You have screened the calls. Yes. And, of course, everyone can leave those uh, calls yeah. at 844-866-2468. If you're from uh, out of the country, the MMA Hour at Vox Media. And, uh, all right, my man, yeah. let's do this. I-, I would like to add that this was
2: probably the funnest, like, batch of calls that we got this week. I liked hearing that. I think, uh, for the most part, you know, it's all been serious. Like, yo, Habib, McGregor, right, all about that. But since there, there hasn't been going much, you know, not-, not a lot happened last week or this week. And I think, you know, fans got really creative. So. All right. Let's take a listen, shall we? All right. Hey, Luke and Danny. My name is Jonas. I'm from Norway, and I have a question regarding walkout music. Who in the UFC has the best choice of walkout song, and who has the worst? Mm. And please don't say Darren Till, because Sweet Caroline is an amazing song. It's not. You're an idiot. Also, I have a bonus trivia question for you. I'm going to play a guitar riff, and you're going to tell me which song this riff comes from. I'm going to give you a hint. I believe it's one of Luke's favorite songs.
1: What song is that? That's the official soundtrack of like divorce and sadness. And starvation, everything, and everything that is wrong with this world yeah. is encapsulated yeah. in that guitar. It's like anytime there's a murder, there's a guy somewhere playing "Face the Pain." That's yeah. what that's what they all. You know, have you ever seen those dolls? No doubt. You you pin them and then like somebody gets an injury. Yeah, that's yeah. what. Uh, that's where like famine comes from. Someone, some idiot yeah. in a garage is playing. So, the- something bad happened out of us playing this. Yeah. yeah. Um. Gosh, sorry, world. Uh. Okay. Best walkout music, and the guy's not an idiot. Yeah. I'm just saying that because of the. Uh, Sweet Caroline is one of the worst walkout songs you can imagine. I know they do it. I, it, I think it suits Darren Till. I don't know. No, it doesn't. It feels derivative, to be perfectly honest. I know it's an homage to what the other combat athletes do, but it feels derivative to me. The song is terrible. Um, it's what, you know what it is? and Here's why I don't like it. It's the, it's the national anthem of suburban white people. That's, that's who that song is for. Shocker that they play it in the most racist city in the north in uh boston it's that that's that song has no value to anybody who's not that so yeah. i would say i gotta be honest conor mcgregor's walkout with the foggy dew thing and then switching to notorious i like it it's pretty great man it's pretty great it's up there yeah B- I would- BJ, any any walkout song that's super cultural yeah hawaiian kickboxer yes. for max um bj penn's Brother E's song uh that kind of
2: a thing yeah I always enjoyed Akiyama's. I always thought it was super nice, like Conte, going into battle Conte with Partiro, uh, yeah, yeah. Andrea mm-hmm. Um And the way he came out, he was usually like with the gi, holding hands with, you know, his team. And he came out very, always very calm. So I really enjoyed that walkout. And if you're talking about Notorious B.I.G., Frankie Edgars is, is, is up there. Kick in the in yeah. the
1: 4-4, it's pretty great. That's yep. an amazing song. Yep. yep. Uh, who's it's got a really bad, oh, and by the way, uh, shouts to the Jim mm-hmm. Miller for any kind of CCR he has. Um, who's got a bad one? Again, Tim Boach giving up the Conan the Barbarian anvil of Krom for Kid Rock is totally unforgivable. Yeah. Um, that's up there as well for bad. This is
2: not uh UFC related because the question was under UFC, but I'm gonna go over to Bellator. I forgot for what fight, but King Mo was gonna walk out and fight, and they played the wrong song. I don't know if you remember. Don't. They played last night by the strokes. That's that <laughs> sad boy stuff that you don't like. <laughs> and you know, it's totally not King Mo and, like. King Mo looking, must have yeah. been like, what? He was looking around and like I, I think he threw his hands up and he's like, all right, F it. I'll, I'll just walk out that to this. That is so
1: funny. Yeah. It's poor King Mo. That sucks. Yeah. Even I wouldn't want to come out to that. I, I would just go back to the locker room to be Hmm. Mm. Dan Henderson. Or or or, or tail Ch- 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 and belts, or they come out to these country music songs. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a big country fan. Yeah, you know why? Because you have ears. That's why. Yeah. Way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, yeah. Just go drown. Unless it's Johnny, go, go drown in the Chattahoochee. Would you consider Johnny Cash country? Yeah, but that's like that's like a rockabilly blues. Yeah, difference. Well, that's more blues. Yeah, so it's not, not exactly the same.
2: Yeah, I always enjoyed um, Johnny Cash walkouts. They're always badass. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to uh, the next question. Actually, questions. you know what? Let me say, that was
1: a great question from Norway.
2: Really? Yes, great. it was. And under, was it 39 seconds? With the guitar riff? Exactly. It's parsimonious. Solid question. All right, let's keep going.
5: Hey, Luke Thomas. This is David calling from Toronto, Canada. This is the home of your favorite rapper, Drizzy Drake. I got two <laughs> questions for you. Number one. An M- MMA question. Number two is a personal question. So the MMA question is this. There's lots of big fights coming up. Jon Jones, Gustafson. We've got right here in my hometown, we got Max Holloway versus Ortega. Yep. And even in boxing, we have Mr. Uh, Josh or not Joshua, sorry. We have Mr. Fury against... Uh, Dante Wilder, which is your Dante. favorite fight coming up by the end of 2018? So that is my first question. So it could be either MMA or boxing. Okay. And my second question is this, this is a personal question. Uh, and this is both for you, Luke Thomas, and this is both for you, Danny Segura. Um, I'm currently dating a woman from Bogota, Colombia. We've been going out for about eight <laughs> months. What do I need to know about keeping a woman from Bogota, Colombia happy? Thank Shit. you so much, Luke Thomas and Danny Segura. As you were, have yourselves
1: a good day. Bye. Wow. That's a big question, a man. A bit of a long question, but it was good, right? That's a, it's not just a yeah. good question. It's a big question. It's like, yeah. what's so the which one life? do you want to tackle first? Let's go the easiest one first. fight we're looking forward to most. I'm going to say, no, it's boxing or it's MMA. Yeah. Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury is honestly very exciting to me. It's not Joshua, though. Uh, No, it's not Joshua. Um, I will say, though, it's got to be Ortega and Holloway. That's just two guys in their prime, never seen it before. John Bones, Jones, and Gustafson's a close second, but there's a lot of just unknowns that make you wonder what it might be on the bad end. Mm -hmm. So I'll go Ortega and Holloway. You? Yeah, same.
2: And, you know, for, for the same reasons, one, we've already seen Gus and Jones and also, you know, they haven't have fought in a while as well. So, you know, I mean, they, they can go and show good performances. But, man, as you said, Ortega and, and Holloway are in their prime. They've been active. They've been killing it on active streaks. And... They're they have very different set of skill sets. You know Gustafson and, and Jones, they're both very rangy, and we kind of know what fight will play out. We think um, we think we know, or we 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 think we know. That's right. But I I like when there's always contrasting styles, and and you know like okay if this guy goes to the ground, this means that if this guy does that, you know. It and means and the questions else. around
1: Max and his health are huge. That's true as well. You know? That's the only concern about yeah. this fight. Yeah. And look, if he's fine, he's fine. But you know, you just yeah, you just don't know. Now, fingers crossed. As for the second part wow that's a that's a deal I'll let you me. go first because you're married you know here when it's also a little bit different right because mm-hmm. you are Colombian and I, as the resident gringuito up in here uh my perspective is going to be very different than yours because a lot of what you need to do it will come effortless to you right you'll just know it because you mm-hmm. um, you'll have grown up around it but for me a lot of Americans he's Canadian they don't teach you much about Latin America in schools like if you seek out Spanish language in high school or in college like Spanish literature you begin to get something of an appreciation i came into a blind i knew nothing about columbia here's what i would say here's what's worked for me number one just shut the fuck up (laughs) because talking ain't gonna do you any good uh but in all seriousness i would say um be really engaged in their culture now that for me came easy because i naturally gravitated to it danny Mm -hmm. but like i learned about food I learned about culture. I learned about customs. I went and visited. I've been there a gazillion times at this point. Um, I've tried to learn Spanish. That's an ongoing challenge, but I'm trying. You know, I'm making an attempt. Um, I know, I know, whenever I go there, people are surprised that I know things about Colombia, like other Colombians, that is, because I think most Americans go there, and you know the truth. They go there to... Roomba, dude, they go there for the gozadera, you know, as well as I do. Yeah, yeah. And if you go there to actually engage with people, I have found that they treat you very differently. That's been my and by the way, take salsa lessons that will always do you right with yes. a Colombian woman. Yeah, salsa is very important. Um, I would say, but this is
2: just fits in general, just be nice, just be sincere, you know, just be yourself. Um, but as far as you know, tailor made for this, this specific um case. I don't know how it is in Canada, but here in 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 the U.S., it's sometimes hard to get a hold of you know good Colombian junk food. It is. So if you if you can get your hands on some barriletes or some choco ramos, <laughs> some chocolatina jet. I had some know? jet yesterday. That's the best jet. chocolate around. Yeah, it's really From good. Milo. I mean, you you got a plus, and definitely try to learn some Spanish. A little bit, uh, a little bit, bit goes at least a something. Long way. This is something I I don't always get. I feel like most of the conversations that surround. Uh, romantic languages is always, obviously, French, Italian. But Spanish, I feel like, doesn't get thrown around I- enough. If you learn, like, just a couple phrases, you know, you just look at her dead in the eye. You go, mi amor, mi vida, yeah, te quiero. Yeah. Eres todo para mí. Mi cielo. <laughs>
1: mi cielo.
2: No puedo ir sin yeah. ti. You know? um, uh,
1: here's what I would, I think, I think that's right. Here's the last thing on this, Danny. Yeah. Know the things you're not supposed to say. So, for example, don't make cocaine jokes. Not a good idea. I know so many people who meet my wife, They'll be like, so um, is it snowing in Colombia? Ba. And as the Colombians will be quick to remind you, it's not their Coke; it's ours. They might make it, we're the ones snorting it. So there's that as n- for number one. Yeah. Number two, don't make jokes about the FARC. It's a bit of a touchy subject, right? I think you can all agree to that. Uh, and then, what's anything last? Oh, I will say this: y'all are a little racist. Uh, I, I don't know about you're that. you're a little racist. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. If I go down there, I think the word gringo is racist. Do you agree? Okay, no, I know what you're trying
2: to say. We're not PC.
1: No. They'll call but, you. But I don't know about racist. They'll be like, where are you from? you will be like, oh, Korea. They'll call you El Chino. Yeah. They will not. <laughs> Coreano, they will not say. They'll call yeah. you. Are you from Japan? Okay, El Chino. Like, that's what they do. But A little bit uneducated on, on some, yeah. But the point being is, I think the word gringo is racist. Mm-hmm. Because here's the truth. Gringo can be neutral. Oh, look, there are some gringos over here. That's yep. a neutral way to describe it. You have never, the, in Colombia, you have never heard the expression, wow, look at these gringos. I'm so glad they're here. They're wonderful dancers. You've ne- it's never been uttered in the history of the Spanish language. It can't,
2: it can't for sure. No, yeah, it can
1: These gringos, they're, they are such great if, some, if, if
2: you're with someone and, let's say, you know, they're American and you're introducing, them, oh, son gringos, you know, they're from America. Yeah, but it's. You don't go, son estadounidenses. Hold on, hold on. The truth
1: is, and you know this as well as I do, it can be neutral, but yeah. it's usually dismissive. It's usually dismissive. Could be, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Let's move on. All right. Uh,
2: so now let's actually talk some MMA. Okay. Um, Bader, Bader's been killing it. Let's talk about you know what it means for you know for him being in the Bellator uh, heavyweight grand prix final, and uh, you know how he would do if if he were still in the UFC. Hey,
0: this is Brandon Quintana from Rosemead, California. How was your morning, game so far, Luke? Terrible. Hey. Well, that's unfortunate. Anyway, Ryan Bader is <laughs> having great
3: success in Bellator look great at light heavyweight and look even better at heavyweight. Although, although he was great in the UFC, he always seemed to struggle with the top five. Is his success at Bellator due to leaps and bounds in his games leaving the UFC, or are we seeing the result of a drop in level of competition?
0: And what does that say about a double champ versus double champ match against the UFC?
1: Any thoughts?
2: So loaded question. Um, tons to talk about here. First of all. Is Ryan Bader's success meaning something that says something about the divisions and the kind of fighters about Bellator mm-hmm.
1: or about his improvement? Where, where, where do you – He's 35. I don't think he's improved very much. Um, I think it's just a lower level of competition. But look, here's the point. So what is the answer? So yeah. what? If it's a lower level of competition, you at least, number one, get to appreciate Ryan Bader in a new way. In terms of what he's done at light heavyweight. And the whole point about the heavyweight tournament is it makes you reconsider how talented this guy is. If you're just going up against buzzsaws like Anthony Johnson and John Jones, people don't really get a good sense of who you are. It's actually when you go into these other competitions. I mean, those are important and they matter. You can't discount those either. But the reality is Ryan Bader doesn't get to show off how good he is against Anthony Johnson or John Jones. He does when he gets to go up a weight class in Bellator. He does when he gets to fight at a Phil Davis or a Linton Vassal. And Phil Davis was a very close fight, but yeah. he does certainly here. So the point being is, did he get better? Well, no. Is the competition less? Why is that a scandal to say? It's of course it's less. That's not the point. The point is, this guy is freaking awesome, and you haven't had really a chance to, to get to enjoy that. Enjoy it. Now you do. And I mean, when he left the UFC, he was already like, what, top four? I would even mean, like to say top four, top five, yeah. yeah. So that's already. But they're putting something. him in fights in Brazil sure. against Lil Nog. Like, what's that yes. going to do for him? It's not you don't get to appreciate him in that mm-hmm. way. Now you get a different chance to appreciate him. But I would
2: I would disagree in one in one thing. I do think he's gotten better. Not you know maybe crazy you know jump like Aaron Peek or something like that. But I I do think fighting in a new organization, fighting in an organization where he doesn't have to go out there and and call people out. I feel like that's done a lot of well. Uh, to his overall game. I feel like he's, he's improved in that area.
1: I wouldn't, I, I, I couldn't argue that necessarily. I just don't think it's been, if it's been a change, not much. For me, it's just that the guy's been exceptionally talented and there are ways to reveal that. This is a way to reveal that. Yeah, especially going up to heavyweight. Now let's move on to a different promotion
2: across the pond. So, about Eddie Alvarez. All right.
5: Hey, Luke and Danny, this is Brian from Philadelphia.
3: Uh, what do you think it's a fight to make for Eddie Alvarez one championship?
2: so very quick question um to be honest i don't know much about the roster over at one or newsflash um, nobody does yeah but something that i did want to bring up uh regarding this question i've seen already on twitter a lot of people throw up you know ben Askren versus eddie alvarez the possibility mm-hmm. um what do you make
1: of that it seems like a terrible fight for uh eddie um because he's got good takedown defense, but Ben is just relentless in that regard, and would have the size advantage. you are talking about a guy who was an Olympian, you know. Whatever you think of his striking, who cares? Uh, he's going to be able to close the distance, and uh, whether he gets on top or not, I don't know. So I would, I would say, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing it because you would be matching up somebody to have under talent uh, or under under roster anyway. In Ben and uh, Eddie is obviously Eddie, so uh, I guess the answer is yes. But um, mm-hmm. doesn't. It, Look, the point about Eddie going to one is so Eddie can do things that Eddie needs, like get money that he should have been getting a long time ago. Get a belt. It doesn't mean fuck all for the fans. And so the fans be like, who can he fight? I don't know. Yeah. Shinyaoki, I don't know. Some other donk? I don't know. It, that's not what it's about.
2: Honestly, I would watch. I would rather watch that trilogy than a Ben Askren fight. To be honest, the Ben Askren fight doesn't do anything yeah, for Yeah, sure. Me. I agree. It doesn't really interest I me. Mean, by people. the way, he'll smoke Shinya the next time they fight. So Most likely. But still, that heel hook, you never know. That's, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. now let's talk about scoring in MMA. All right. Hi, Luke, long-time listener. My name is Abdel. I'm calling
5: from Burkina Faso. Wow. So my question is, why do you think we don't really see as much draw decisions in MMA today? Do you think that the judges have some kind of pressure on them to score a fight in favor of a fighter, even if a fight is close enough to be a draw? I wanted to hear your opinion on it, so thank you for your response. And Sean
2: Price is the best.
1: <laughs> take that, take that, you little Uzi Vert fan in Danny Zagorda. Little pump. Uh, little pump. Whoever that gentleman is, I do not know. I am old and white. Um. Takashi? Yeah. Sorry, I lost track of what he was asking. Please refresh my memory. Um, so why don't we see enough oh, draw, draws, like, yes. that many draws in MMA?
2: And I think that's a fantastic question. Yeah,
1: the answer is that um, commission members, this is the one thing they'll be they'll actually admit, and referees do it too, is that, because um, they, they know as well, commissions d- don't want them. Um, they pressure judges, not like, you should score that round XYZ, but in this general sense, they really ask you to find a winner. And, um, I, I, you know, look, I actually don't... There's this. Um, if you watch uh, two of my buddies, I'll give a shout out to them uh, Grant and Danny. They hold the, host the midday show on 167 The Fan in Washington, D.C., and they absolutely hate ties in football games, American football games. And uh, I don't love ties, but sometimes two teams are just equally matched. Now, the Canelo and Triple G first time scorecards were fucked up, which is why people got mad at the draw. But in the general sense, do I mind if fights end in a draw? I really don't, because sometimes. One guy can't beat the other. The answer is that the commissions don't want to be a part of this indecision, quite literally. They want to be a part of judgment, and that judgment calls for an X or a Y. I think that's so unfortunate because, like, in
2: soccer, you see draws all the time. You see in in sports, just draws all the time. I feel like in MMA, we don't get enough. Like, let's be honest. Do you really think Darren Till beat um, Steven Wonderboy? Certainly not. Nobody won that fight. You know, it— my my whole thing with the whole scoring versa, is like da- dar- dar- yeah no dar- vice versa lose, exactly you know? like no nobody won in that fight. Come on. Like if you could make an argument for either or, uh, you're really you're really uh, splitting hairs there because let's be honest, no one no one really did much, and I feel like a lot of fights you know that happens. I feel like we, we rounds end and we're wondering oh who, who won who do I give the ten nine to? If you're wondering that question, it should be a ten ten automatically at least on on my book. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Yeah. with that, sure. All right. Let's talk about now uh, Habib and uh, Tony. Habib. Surprise, right?
5: Hey, how's it going, guys? My name is Pedro. I'm calling from Southern California. Right. I just wanted to ask you guys a quick question. So, do you guys think that a fight between Habib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson could be promoted um, as to see who is the best lightweight of all time? Um, if so, do you guys think that that can be promoted uh, like that to the casual audience as well? Or would they just rely on Khabib's, I guess, star power and millions of followers um, and not promote it that way and just
1: think that they're going to get uh, big numbers anyway? Thanks. So, so go for it. the question was worded a little bit off. Mm-hmm. It's a good question, but here's the problem. With Penn having a title in two weight classes, it makes a discussion of GOAT a little bit. I'm not saying it um, that Penn's the runaway choice or that, he, you know, clear number two behind Habib or whatever, but he's certainly in the conversation being a two weight division champion. And, yeah. and Tony's never held one. Now, Tony competed in a different era and he was the interim champ. I understand. Here's how I think you can position it it is a question of historic importance. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's the two best lightweight fighters ever fighting one another in terms of their talent level, because yeah. GOAT is a question of accomplishment. Um, I think you can pitch it like that. Dude, name a fight where you can put two guys in their prime. Well, I don't know if Tony's in his prime, but certainly two guys who are at the top of the division together for a title in the UFC. And you're talking about that maybe one of the best fights that weight class has ever seen. That's super rare. I think that's, that's the way to go about it. And in some weird way,
2: teasing it that this fight has never been able to come to fruition... Yeah. It's also part of the story because yeah. it really is ridiculous to think that, that these two guys have been on crazy win streaks. They're down to fight anybody, anywhere, and yet they still can't make it to the same
1: fight night. And here's the best part about it. They've tried to make it four times and failed. Yeah. They're trying to make it now a fifth time. And the fifth time is the most important one, even counting all the other four right. attempts. Like all those other four attempts— It's not just because it's the latest one, because now there are title implications. The stakes keep getting higher. Right, each time the stakes get higher. That tells you that you must, you must make that contest. And not only that, but their win
2: streaks just keep, you know, growing. And and they even look more badass, you know, with their performance. They they might literally be the two most talented lightweights ever. Honestly, if that fight never happens...
1: That that'll be like the worst fight. Th- that'll
2: be the worst. Know. One of the worst case in. By the way, how
1: bitter are McGregor fans for me not including him in that conversation? Yeah, super bitter right now. Guess what? Hashtag don't care. All right, uh, we got time for one more. We got time for a couple more. Okay, um,
2: so let's let's bring in McGregor. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Right mean, on I cue about him. Hey, what's up, guys? This is John from New Jersey. Sounds now, like listen, I know this isn't a fight that a lot of casuals want to
5: yeah. see, but me as a hardcore fan. I want to see Tony Ferguson and Conor McGregor get it in because Khabib's probably going to be out for a while and Tony Ferguson deserves a big payday. Like, forget the belt for a second. If Tony Ferguson fights Conor, he gets the biggest payday of his career, right? And if he wins, of course, you know, he's fighting for the belt. But if Conor wins, then he deserves to fight for the rematch against Khabib. So it's like a win-win for the UFC and for Tony. Because Tony has so many wins at lightweight. He deserves a big payday. And, bro, Connor's the payday. is better than fighting for the belt at this point, bro. So I'd rather Tony fight Connor, and the winner fights could be again. It's a win-win for the fans and for Tony, bro. He deserves it. What do you guys think? Love the show, man. Good night.
1: Thank you, Daniel Cormier voice guy. Yeah, so how do you feel about that one? Uh, I'm torn. I would love to see Tony get a big payday. Yeah, I would love to see him um, get a big fight and be in the big spotlight. I think if anyone deserves it, it's him. Shouts to Tony Ferguson. Thank you for this again. Um, I don't know. It's just that that fight between Habib is so important for so many yeah. reasons. That matter for the sport, you know, that make you feel good about what the sport can offer. Uh, and frankly, I got to be it's honest. what the sport is about, think, fight the best fighting the best. I think Tony is a tougher matchup for Habib than he is for Conor. Oh, yeah. Uh, Because given how nasty Connor is early, you know, and the way in which Tony fights guys against his own strength sometimes. And Tony has been cracked before. Yeah, by the way, Tony could still win that one very easily too. Like, it'd be very foolish to count that guy out. Uh, I'm a little bit torn. I just think that the Habib fight is so important. Now, if he's going to be out for a while, to the caller's point, well, then that changes some things. Yeah. But if he's going to be a relatively active man, that's the guy. That's the guy. Tony's been waiting Look at his win streak. Look at the guys he's beating. Look at what he's capable of doing. Look at the matchup, as I showed during the Monday Morning analyst. Man. It would be a crime for that fight not to yep. happen.
2: I'm I'm with you 100%. That's the fight to make. And anything that stands in the way of it or jeopardizes, even if it's a big fight, even if it involves Conor McGregor, I don't want it. I want Tony Ferguson versus Habib. Uh, so we'll see what happens. If he's out for a while, if, if Habib does end up you know, staying on the sidelines for a bit, mm-hmm. I still wouldn't like to see it just because I'd like to see Conor... Not get an easier fight, but, man, uh, like, fighting Habib and then Tony, like, back-to-back, to back, I don't think that's good. That's not good for your health. And um, Yeah, you know what Connor McGregor needs? He needs a tune-up. He needs a tune-up. That's what he needs. And it's hard to give a tune-up once you're such a big
1: star, right? I Who mean, cares? Find a way to do it. He yeah. needs a tune-up. He needs a tune-up. He he by really the way, does. Habib got an accidental one in the Daryl Horcher fight. And yes. It did him some good. Yep. Connor needs a tune-up. And, and by the way, you would be like, oh, Connor's too good for tune-ups. No fighter in boxing is too good for tune-ups. Um, even the great Juan Manuel Marquez got tune-ups late into his career. Everyone takes those. It's okay. Um, I think that's what he needs. I really do. I think
2: so. We got time for one more? Yeah, let's do it. All right. This one is for you. Um, I mean, I got something going on right now, but not, not to your level. All right.
5: Howdy, Luke. My name's Alex, a.k.a. The Beef, calling
0: from a glorious Orlando, Florida.
1: Nope, uh, just I have a question Alex.
0: question for you. Uh, if any, what products do you use in that glorious beard of yours? Uh, are you more of a fan of
1: the oil, the balm, maybe your wash? Let me know. Kind of curious. Thanks. Okay, um, Danny, you have what I would call the facial hair starter kit. Okay, right? It's a fair way to put it. Yes, I'll take that. I mean, this is only about a week, maybe? bro. That's like two hours for me. You understand? I could sneeze and grow that. Um, I would, say, I would say here's what I do. I wash my beard with uh, either my head shampoo if I'm out, but I typically have my own beard shampoo. You can get it at your local fine men's grooming lounge or any kind of place like that. And, you don't have a specific brand. Um, I, um, no, not, I kind of experiment. I've never really found one that was like, demonstrably better than the others. Yeah. Um, I use conditioner on it a few times a week as well. Uh, here's the reality, though. I don't like the beard oils. I am against those. Now, you need to put liquid in it. Why? Because your scalp naturally produces the kinds of oils that make your hair shine and give it some uh, bounce and some depth. Mm -hmm. Your face does not. That's why your face hair, if you don't treat it right, looks like pubes. I mean, to be Mm -hmm. quite candid with you, that's why it doesn't—there's no nurturing from the skin. So um, I don't like the oils because if you touch your face, then it looks like you ran your hand through, I don't know— jello or something like you your hands get all okay. mucked up yeah i like balms uh and cremo is a great one mm. cremo balm it's white you put it in there it makes it smell nice and it make, gives it some nice um you know life and uh and by the way also you need a beard brush you need a beard brush to uh, comb that thing so How often do you brush? once a day is it painful um only if like i've gone to jiu-jitsu and everything's tangled and then I shower, and then I let it dry naturally, and then I try to brush it out. Then I got a bit of a problem. But other than that, no. And as Kimbo Slice told me, um, if I take care of my beard, my beard will take care of me. Shouts mm-hmm. to Kimbo Slice. no
2: yep. There you go. Shouts to Kimbo Slice, yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace. One of the gre- greatest beards in MMA. I think it's him or Olovsky, tied. Oh, I would say Kimbo's was better. Yeah. Kimbo's was better. Definitely more fuller, but Orlovsky just fits with his...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It fit, the, it fit, the, it fit the profile, yeah. yeah. But um, in terms of just like straight up beard um, majesty, that's your that's re your right there for sure. Anything else? I mean, that's it. I mean, we got a, a couple more questions, but we can always save them for, for later shows. Let's save them right? for later right. shows because uh, I got things to do, as everyone well knows. Yep. Uh, Danny, great job today, as always. It was nice to Thank see you. you. And uh, we'll be back next week, won't we? It will be kind of fun. All right. As always, you can send us those calls, 866 four-eight six six-2468. Use the hashtag the MMA hour, or you can email us um for if you want those calls at uh, the MMA hour at voxmedia.com. Thank you guys so much for watching, and until next time, stay frosty.